السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار So our lecture today inshallah ta'ala is on the great and mighty topic of the usul or the foundations or the principles of the Salafi methodology which are in between extremism on the one hand and neglect on the other hand. Now when we speak about the usul, the foundations of the Salafi da'wah, then as you know the Salaf authored many works on this topic. From them is Usul Sunnah of Imam Ahmed rahimahullah. From, the, from them by way of example only is Aslu Sunnah of Imam Al-Tabari. From them is Sharh uh, Usul I'tiqad Ahlu Sunnati Wal Jama'ah of Al-Lalika'i and many others which have a similar name. So when we speak of the Usul, the foundations of the Salafi methodology, there are many, many, many foundations. Foundations which relate to our belief, foundations which relate to uh, our, our action or our methodology and so that's why we return back to these books in order to find what the Salaf were upon but for the purpose of this lecture in our lecture today in order to present this topic what I'm going to do inshallah ta'ala is first of all begin with a, 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 a summarized explanation of what the Salafi da'wah essentially is and we will do this from a number of citations first of all from a citation from the Al-Lajnatul uh, Da'imah at the head of whom was Sheikh Abdul Aziz bin Baz rahimahullah they were asked this question as to what are the usul of the Salafi da'wah and so they give a very concise answer to this question and then there are a number of follow-up answers that we'll take from Sheikh Salih Al-Fawzan Hafizahullahu Ta'ala just to add a bit more a bit more to that general answer so this will give us a generalized answer to the question what are the principles of the Salafi Dawah if anybody asks you this question you can answer with the answer of Sheikh Abdul Aziz bin Baz, Abdul Razak Rafifi and others who are on the committee who answered this question after this we will then look at specific broad principles of the Salafi da'wah and we will take this from a number of the people of knowledge from them is Sheikh Ubaid al-Jabiri Hafizahullah Ta'ala who has a lecture turned into a small risalah on this subject what are the usul and the qawaid of the Salafi methodology likewise Sheikh Abdul Salam al-Barjis Rahimahullah he has a, 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 a well-known risala on the usul of the Salafi da'wah 
within which he lists nine or ten of those principles. So we'll try to work through them if we have the time, inshallah ta'ala. And likewise, Sheikh Abdullah al-Bukhari, hafizahullah ta'ala, also has a risala on what is Salafiyya, mahiya Salafiyya. And within there, he makes a list of a number of important foundations and principles. So we have many things in front of us to cover. And so we'll try to work through it step by step. And along the way, uh, we will try to make some uh, relevant observations and derive some points and pick out some lessons which are important for us to for us to understand so as for the question that we begin with this is the from the fatawa of al-lajnatu daima and it is the first question from fatwa number 6265 and so the question asked is ma hiya usulu da'wati salafiyya wa mabadi'uha what are the foundations, what are the usul, the principles of the Salafi da'wah and its elementary principles, its basic principles? And so the answer is very short but very concise. And so if anybody ever asks you this question from the people who are from the other, you know, firaq, from the sects or who are not upon the Salafi way or even the non-Muslims, and they ask you this question, you can answer with this, with this answer. They say, The Salafi da'wah is that which so this is a very, very brief but very concise answer. They said, the Salafi da'wah is to invite or to call others to that which the, which the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and his companions, may Allah be pleased with them, and those who followed them upon goodness, who are the Tabi'een and the ones who came after them, to call to that way Bil Hikmah with wisdom and with good admonition and with argumentation through that which is best. Alongside striving against oneself, to strive against oneself in acting upon whatever he is calling others to. So this is a really beautiful answer in a nutshell. We as Salafis, what are we upon? What are we calling to? We are calling the people, whether they are Muslim or non-Muslim. So even if it is a non-Muslim, if it is a, a Yahudi or a Nasrani, you are a Christian, or any of the factions, uh, the polytheists, or the Sabia, or the Majus, or any, whoever, whichever faction they might be, whether non-Muslim, or whether they are Muslim, from the various Jama'at and the Firq, we are essentially calling them to whatever the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and his companions were upon, and we strive to do so using wisdom, wisdom, and good admonition, and arguing in ways which are best. And at the same time, we are striving against ourselves in order to act upon 
the very thing that we are calling other people to. And so we see that the ayah in the Quran in Surah An-Nahl, Ud'u ila sabili rabbika bil hikmati wal mawidati al-hasana wajadilhum billati hiya ahsan inna rabbaka huwa a'lamu biman dalla an sabilih wa huwa a'lamu bil muhtadeen. This is the ayah that the very sheikhs, Sheikh Abdul Aziz bin Baz, Rahimahullah, Abdul Razak Afifi and Abdullah bin Qud are referring to. May Allah have mercy upon them all. And so when we, when, we, when we call to this way, this way is the way which is the middle balanced way, the way of moderation. And so we see in another ayah, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطًا لِتَكُونُوا شُهَدَاء عَلَى النَّاسِ وَيَكُونَ الرَّسُولُ عَلَيْكُمْ شَهِيدًا So thus have we made you a middle and a balanced nation, that you may be witnesses over mankind and that the messenger may be a witness over you. So this way that we are describing, that we are calling other people to, it is the middle balanced way. And so therefore, everything that emanates from it, which springs from this fountain, it is itself moderation and balance and justice. And it is in between the various extremes, the extreme of you know the, the excessiveness and exaggeration or the other side, the other extreme of neglect. So once we understand this in a nutshell, this is what we essentially call to and we call to the way of the Messenger of Allah and the Sahaba. Then we see that Sheikh Salih Al-Fawzan, he was asked a question and the question is basically that some of the dua, those, some of the callers who are present on the scene, you know, they are trying to call people to Allah, may Allah guide them. They say indeed the word Salafi, when we use this term, Salafi, Salafi Da'wah, Salafiya, and so on and so forth, this is something which causes splits between the people. So do not say, do not identify yourself, do not say, I am a Salafi. Do not say, we are Salafis. So what is your answer? What is your answer to this? The Shaykh Hafizahullah Ta'ala, he said, Lafzatu Salafi, this word Salafi, tufarriqu bayna salafiyyin, alladhina ala madhhab salaf wal mubtadi'ah wa ahli dalal He said that the word Salafi is something which actually does cause a split. It causes a split between the Salafis who are upon the way of the Salaf. The way that we just described, the Messenger of Allah and his companions and those who followed them. It causes a split between those people who would stick to that and between the people of innovation, the people of misguidance. And this itself is a distinction. This is a mayza, this is something which is a praiseworthy distinction that a person should actually be upon the madhab of the Salaf. And he uses as evidence the statement of the Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam. And so pay attention to the ayah which he uses. The Shaykh, he quotes the ayah in Surah Yusuf, verse number 38, in which Yusuf alayhi salam, he says, وَاتَّبَعْتُ مِلَّةَ آبَائِي إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْحَاقُ وَيَعْقُوبِ مَا كَانَ لَنَا أَن نُشْرِكَ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ He said, that Yusuf alayhi salam said, I... I follow the Milla 
of my forefathers who came before me, Ibrahim and Ishaq and Ya'qub, it is not for us to associate anything as partner with Allah. And this is Surah Yusuf, Surah 12, verse number 38. So the Shia continues. So he uses this ayah as an evidence for following one's forefathers who were upon righteousness and goodness. So he says, following the Salaf therefore upon Tawheed and upon the Aqeedah is a sharf and madh, is nobility and is praise. And so we boast, we boast, and we ask Allah to make us upon the madhab of the Salaf. Think about this. If we were to address the Jews or the Christians of today, or if we were to find, let's just say for argument's sake, that there was a Christian who says, I am the follower of the actual disciples of Isa salam. From them is James, for example, and from them, you know, other than them. And they were truthful in what they were saying. Then they would actually be upon Islam. They would be upon Islam. So just, let's just say for argument's sake, that there was a Christian who actually did, did say this, even though it's very hard to find people like this because Christianity... It split into two groups. The first group were the original followers uh, of Isa salam. So they were, if you like, Salafis of that time. They were the Salaf of that time. And after them came a group of people who didn't do what they said and they did what they weren't commanded. And so essentially they innovated into the religion and they created an altered, distorted religion. And that's what became known as Christianity as it is today. But for argument's sake, if there were people, it would be an honor for a Christian today to be truthfully following the actual disciples of Isa salam, just as it would be an honor for a Jew today if he was to be following the actual companions of Musa salam. Even though we know this is not possible and the deen is muharraf and mubaddal and that they have no obligation except to follow the messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But the point being, in light of what the Shaykh has mentioned, we ourselves, we boast about this. We boast about this. We boast about this to other people, that we are followers of the Salaf. And likewise to the Jews and Christians, we say that we are followers of the companions of the Prophet Muhammad Whereas we know that you are unable to follow the companions of those whom you claim to be following, whether it is Isa alayhi salam, or whether it is Musa salam. So this is a tremendous quality. It is a sharf and madh, as the Sheikh mentioned, and it is something that one can boast about if he is truthful in his claim. Right? And we shall come and address these issues later. That when we make this association, this association has to be with ilm and amal. And it can't be on the basis, as we find with some of the jama'at and other than them, that their association with Salafiyyah is for other objective, objectives. It is not with ikhlas, it is not with sincerity. It is not, it is not genuinely seeking what the Salaf were upon. It is for other objectives. And inshallah, if we have time, we can address some of those jama'at and the firq. But the point being, the Sheikh says, this is something that we are proud of. We do not feel shy in saying this and explaining this to the people. And we ask Allah to make us upon the madhab of the Salaf and that he makes us to be firm upon it, despite whoever may split and separate from us, whoever splits and separates from us. 
we do not simply gather the people together. We're not people who just gather people together, but rather we call them to the madhab of the salaf and the sound creed. So going back to what we read in the first question, this is what we're actually calling to. We're not simply gathering bodies together for a reason amongst the reasons. This is not our motivation. We are calling people to actually understand the book of Allah and the sunnah of his messenger in accordance with the madhab of the salaf and the sound creed. This is what we call to. So if they respond, فَإِنِسْتَجَابُوا فَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ If they respond, then all praise is due to Allah. And if they do not, if they want to be separate and away from this, then for them is whatever they choose for themselves. So then we have another question from the Shaykh on the similar point. And here he speaks about the ayah in the Qur'an which we use as an evidence for following the way of the Salaf. There are numerous ayat in the Qur'an which are an evidence in that regard. And from them is this ayah in Surah At-Tawbah verse 100. To the end of the ayah. The Shaykh says, the ayah, translation of the ayah, the foremost, the very first ones, the foremost from among the Muhajireen and the Ansar, and those who followed them in Ihsan, this word Ihsan. The Shaykh says this word Ihsan, those who follow them in goodness, it means, according to the Mufassirin, Bi'itqan, Bi'itqan. So Ihsan means Itqan. What does Itqan mean? Itqan means precision, to be very exact and to be very precise in making Ittiba'a. So this means that this is not وَلَيْسَتْ ذَعْوَى فَقَطْ This is not just simply a claim then because to act truthfully in accordance with this ayah means that you follow them بِإِتْقَان with precision. So it is impossible then for this just to be simply a claim. And so whoever says فَمَنْ يَقُولْ أَنَا سَلَفِي أَنَا عَلَى مَذْهَبِ السَّلَفِ Whoever says I am a Salafi, I am upon the way of the Salaf and when you ask him about the madhab of the Salaf he says, Ma adri, I don't know. Then we say, you cannot be a Salafi. You're not Salafi because you do not know the madhab of the Salaf. And this meaning in the ayah, وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانِ It means those who follow them بِعِلْمٍ وَعَمَلٍ Those who follow them in knowledge and in action. It is not merely just a claim that is made. So therefore the Shaykh advises, فَتَعَلَّمْ مَذْهَبَ salaf so therefore it is upon you to learn the madhab of the salaf and what they were upon so that you are able to hold fast onto it and that you are able to proceed onto it so from this what we should understand that it is not possible for any person to make a claim to being a salafi and then to remain ignorant and not to act upon it because these are the distinguishing features of the Salafi da'wah in comparison to all of the other calls and all of the other ways. This is why no one, no person can ever make a claim to being a Salafi except that we can distinguish, we can find whether he's being truthful or whether he is telling a lie. This is very, very easy for us to do. Why? Because this da'wah is a da'wah of ilm and amal, knowledge and action. And what that knowledge is and what that action is, 
has been transmitted and preserved for us in the form of usul, in the form of foundations. So we can take any individual, we can ask him questions, we can see from his speech, from his action. What do you say about the attributes of Allah Azawajal? What do you say about the Sahaba radiallahu anhum? What do you say about Iman? What is it? What is its reality? What do you, we can look and even some of the Salaf, we can, we can look at those narrations later. Even looking at how a man prays. How is he praying? Is his prayer in accordance with the Sunnah? We can look at all of these different affairs. How does he behave in times of tribulation? How does he behave in times of trials? How does he behave when the rulers are oppressive? How does he behave when a Salafi makes a mistake or a scholar makes a mistake? How? So there are so many different scenarios and situations in which we know the usul of the Salaf. And so therefore we can evaluate a person by his speech and by his action and we can see whether he is being truthful. This is because this da'wah, this way, is one of ilm and amal combined. It is unlike the way of, you know, the, the various other types of calls which, which are present, whether we are speaking about al-ikhwan al-muslimin, the Muslim Brotherhood, or the tabligh, or the Sufis, or the khawarij, or other than them. In all of these, you see that there is a deviation in terms of ilm and in terms of knowledge as well. So from these three basic questions and answers about the usul of the Salafi da'wah and sticking to Salafiyyah even if the people oppose and being truthful in terms of ilm and amal, we will use that now to lead into Sheikh Ubaid al-Jabri's discussion of this topic and it follows on nicely because the Sheikh is in this, in this lecture, it's in the form of questions and answers, so it's very easy to understand. So the Sheikh, after beginning, uh, the first question put to him was, is it possible, O respected Sheikh, that you present to us something on the topic of the usul of the Salafi methodology? So his answer, the first answer that he gives, it gives us context to understand what the Salafi da'wah is. Right? So we've already had the answer from the legend of Daima. So now from this answer we get some context as to what the Salafi Dawah is. So the Shaykh says, O oh my children, the wisdom of Allah iqtadat hikmatullahi subhanahu wa ta'ala anna fi kulli zamanin wa fi kulli makanin an yuhiya Allahu subhanahu wa ta'ala man yansuru deenah wa yu'li kalimatah wa yad'u ilayhi ala basiratin. He says, it is from the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that in every age, in every era, in every time, in every place, Allah prepares certain people who will aid his religion and who will make high his word and who shall call to this way upon Basira. That it is from the wisdom of Allah that Allah will create people and individuals. He will prepare them for this particular task. Just as it is also from the wisdom of Allah at the same time that He, that there will be those from the people of desires, from the people meaning of misguidance, who will set up enmity and hatred for the people upon this way of the Salaf. So these are from the, from the wisdoms of Allah Azza wa Jal, right? 
he establishes and raises people who will aid his religion. So in history, we know, as we, we know, we can say that Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was the one who aided the religion of Islam after the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Why? Because there were many hypocrites, many um, lies and hypocrites who had entered into Islam and really what they were seeking was just power. So they were thinking, this man Muhammad, look at how he's managed to somehow gain power and authority over the Arabs. We can do exactly the same thing. So they thought that Muhammad Sallallahu was, was just a man after power. And so they kind of believed uh, uh, outwardly but disbelieved inwardly. So when the Messenger when he passed away, these people believed that if we rebel, we can just simply fight and we can gain authority as well. And so Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Allah established him as one who aided his religion and he supported you know, Islam against these people. And then likewise in the time of Imam Ahmad rahimahullah ta'ala, when this ilmul kalam, this Greek philosophy uh, disguised as, you know, uh, uh, speech about Allah and, and, and his attributes and names and so on and so forth, when it brought tribulations into the deen of Islam, Allah raised Imam Ahmad and he put an end to that fitna. And then after many, many centuries, Shaykh al-Islam, Ibn Taymi, after him many centuries, Shaykh al-Islam, Muhammad ibn al-Wahhab. So we know that there are individuals in various times, various places whom Allah raises and they aid his religion. Just as at the same time it is from his wisdom that he puts other people, the Shaykh says, who have enmity and opposition. And so these are opposites that Allah establishes. Just like, for example, we have night and day. We have haqq and batil. We have truth and falsehood. We have night and day. There are opposites. Allah puts things in opposites. And this is from the wisdom of Allah Azza wa Jal. Wallahu subhanahu wa ta'ala hakimun, alimun, latifun, khabirun. These are four of the names of Allah. Allah is hakim. He's wise in whatever he does. And he is alim, he's all-knowing. He is latif, he is subtle. And he is khabir, he's all well-informed. He will never ever cause his deen to be wasted. However, the one who seeks a way other than the way of the prophets and messengers, he is the one who will waste himself. He is the one who will waste himself. This is why, my dear brothers and sisters, that Salafiyyah, which is Islam, the pure Islam, it is not possible for neither the Yahud, nor the Nasara, nor the Mushrikun, nor any of the Firaq al-Dala, al-Firaq al-Dala, whether we are speaking of the Jahmiyyah, or the Mu'tazila, the Murjiyah, the Khawarij, and all of the present-day manifestations that we see, and likewise the, the, the new uh, groups like the liberalists and other than the modernists and people like that, the apostates, all those people, they no wastage can ever come to the deen of Allah Azza wa Jal. Rather, the only one who wastes himself is the one who opposes that. And this is, this is, this is, this is haqq, this is truth. And so, uh, the shaykh then finishes this by saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not make anyone as a as a minister, a safir, or a representative between himself, between his creation, to convey his message and his legislation, except those whom he chose from the prophets and from the messengers. So, from this first answer of Sheikh Ubaid, what we see is that first of all, he's laying down 
the context for us to understand the Salafi da'wah. That it is from the wisdom of Allah that there will be people of truth and people of falsehood after the final messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So there will be those who will aid his messenger and who will aid his religion and he will aid and he will support them. And in order to enter them into paradise and to make them firm, he raises up those who will oppose them from the people of falsehood, from the people of misguidance, so that they can establish the truth and establish the proof and be witnesses, as we saw in the previous in, in the ayah, that they will be witnesses over mankind because of the truth that they actually call to. So continuing, the next question put to the Shaykh, Hafizahullah, is he says that when the people of the Sunnah become strange and small in number and their opposers become very very large in number then what is it that will console and reassure the people of the truth so once again this is a very pertinent issue that we find ourselves perhaps small in number we find that the people of misguidance and opposition are tremendous in number and not just of one type, but of so many different categories and, and, and orientations. And every single one of them, we see that they have opposition and hatred against Ahlu Sunnati wal Jama'ah. Even if they actually make alliances with each other for that purpose. So you will see very often that many of the factions of misguidance, even though they have oppositions to each other, when it comes to opposing the people upon the Salafi da'wah, you will see that they will actually make alliances and they will forget their differences. And so this type of enmity and hatred and opposition is tremendous from all of the various, you know, from all of the various parties and fractions. For example, I'll give you an example. We see many of the, of the Khawarij uh, who used to be in uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, uh, being Khawarij, you would expect that they are opposed to those who are the liberalists, right? Because you have now these liberalists, these munafiqeen who are present and they are trying to call to, to liberalism. But what we found is that when they failed in their techniques and methods they were trying to use, which is basically trying to cause unrest and revolution, they realized we simply can't do this. The, the whole setup is such that we simply do not have the means and the power and the resources and the numbers in order to create revolutions and to take power. So what's the best way, what's the best way forward? The best way forward basically is to make alliances. Let's make alliances with the Sufis. Let's make alliances with the Tablighis. Let's make alliances with the, with the liberalists, right? This is what they, what, they, what they actually began to start writing in, in, in their books. And people who started following this methodology like, you know, Salman al-Awd and people like that, that is what they eventually started doing. So in the, in the 1990s, they were calling to this, you know, Hakimiyya, Khuruj, Takfir, Revolution, right? And now you find them 10, 15, 20 years later, they are basically now, uh, you know, uh, with, you know, calling to a, a civic Islam, uniting with, you know, working with the liberalists and things of that nature. So these people, you see, because they were never upon the Salafi Dawah, they do not have something firm to stick to. And so like an ocean, tosses you in whichever direction, whichever way the, the flow and the momentum is going, you will just go in that direction. So if you want numbers, 
then you will, because you have no scruples or principles, then now you will start compromising and working with the Sufis, with the Tablighis, with the Ikhwanis, with the liberalists. You will even take money from non-Muslims if they support your cause, right? So this is, this is, this is the nature of the opposition and the enmity to the people of, of this da'wah. So the question is, when the people of the Sunnah are small in number, they become strangers, and their opposers are very many, then what is the thing that will actually console them and make the affair easy for them? And the Shaykh gives a very beautiful answer. He gives us with three things. He mentions, he gives us three things to think about that will give us reassurance and firmness upon this way. He says that there are some times which come upon the people and in some places where the desires overwhelm the people and the misguidance increases and as a result of which the people of truth, the people of the sunnah become very small in number and they feel very, very strange. They feel very, very strange. He says that what will console them, what will give them strength is three things and I'll summarize the three points. The first thing that will console them is the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal وَمَن يُطِئِ اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولِ فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصِّدِّيكِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ وَحَسُنَ أُولَٰئِكَ رَفِيقًا Whoever obeys Allah and the Messenger, then they will be with the ones upon whom Allah has bestowed His favor from the prophets and the truthful and the martyrs and the righteous. And what an excellent companionship they are. So the Shaykh says, when a person finds himself feeling strange in his town or in his city or in his land, that he is the only person of the sunnah adhering to the rope of Allah and he finds strangeness and he finds very few people are, are sticking to that way, then he should remember that so long as he is upon this way, what is his companionship? He's actually in the company of the prophets and the martyrs and, the, tr and the, 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 the truthful and the martyrs and the righteous. And so when he, and this is something that Ibn al-Qayyim also speaks about as well, that when he recalls that this path that he's traversing on this same path are the prophets and messengers and the righteous and the martyrs and, and, and the truthful and so on and so forth, then this strangeness, this wahsha that he feels, all of a sudden it disappears when he sees that actually he does have a companionship even though it is not physically present, but that is nevertheless, it is companionship. It is like when you sit down and you have present with you books, you, know, you have the books of Tafsir, you have the books of Aqidah, you have the books of uh, the, the Usul, and you sit there and you, those books are in your presence, you, you feel there's a type of company which is present. The authors of those works, you feel that as if you are in, in their presence. So when you acquire this ilm, and you act upon this ilm, then you know that your company, even though it is not physically present, it is not present there in front of you, but nevertheless, that is your company. And so the, the wahsha, the, the, the strangeness, it then disappears, and you become strong in your resolution, the Sheikh says, you become firm, and you do not fear the blame of any blamers in the path of Allah And nor will you be shaken or disturbed by the many which go into destruction and nor by the few who are actually upon the way that you are following. 
So this is the first thing that you remember. Who is your company in this way, in this way of the Salafi way, the Salafi da'wah. The second thing that he mentions that a person should remember is that he mentions the long hadith of the 70,000 who will enter paradise without any reckoning, which is related by Ibn Abbas and others. And within that hadith, the long hadith, there occurs the statement of the Messenger of Allah He says, I saw a prophet and with him was a group of people, like from three to ten people. And another prophet and with him was one man or two men and a prophet and there was not anyone with him at all. So this now is on, is on Yawm Al-Qiyamah and the followers of the prophets will come. So here we see these examples of these prophets and these prophets, these are prophets of Allah They are superior to us and they were sent to an entire nation, to their nation of thousands or tens of thousands or perhaps larger numbers of people and some of them will come and they will not have a single follower. Some of them with just one follower, two followers. So if this is, and these are the prophets of Allah and remember that these prophets, their prophethood was established and proven by way of ayat and barahin, by way of signs and evidences that were shown to establish that this is a genuine prophet of Allah. So alongside that even, not a single one of their followers in the case of those prophets, not a single one of them actually followed, followed him, despite seeing these signs. So if that is the case, then how about you? When you are there in your house, in your family, your brother's a tabligi, your uncle is a tahriri, your so-and-so is a Sufi, your this is this, this is that, and you're surrounded by these types of people, or you're in your society, you're in your, in, in your um, town or society, everyone is upon a particular way, everyone is upon hawa, don't despair. Think about these prophets and these messengers of Allah. They were given ayat, things which were, were like miracles to prove that they were being truthful. And despite that, no one from their family, from their relatives, from their society that they live in, not a single one of them followed them. So why should you, why should you feel despair and feel don't? Don't feel despair. As long as you are upon the haqq, then those who choose misguidance will not be able to harm you. So this is a second point that the Sheikh mentions in order to make us, uh, uh, you know, have, have some reassurance. Then he also mentions, uh, he talks about the point that uh, we should not be deceived by large numbers because truth is not known by large numbers. Truth is known by arriving at the truth. And so he mentions the hadith of splitting and how those who will be saved from the hellfire are those who are the jama'ah. And the jama'ah is explained by Ibn Mas'ud. He said, Al-jama'atu ma wafaq al-haq wa in kunta wahdak. The jama'ah is whatever is the truth. Even if you are alone. If you are alone, you're upon the truth, then, then you are the one who is the jama'ah. So we see that there are people who are trying to undermine these types of texts that we see, the hadith of the 73 sects. There are misguided people present today who are misguided upon knowledge, meaning that they know that they are upon misguidance. People like Yasir Qadi, for example, and other than them. You see from these groups, it's, it's a bit like, um, it's like the Salaf said, 
Muawiyah radiallahu anhu is a sitter, he is a covering for the companions. So whoever attacks Muawiyah, whoever speaks against Muawiyah, then he actually desires to speak about the companions, right? There are certain things, there are certain things that we can very, very clearly see about a person. If we see a person speaking ill of Muawiyah, we know that he's actually trying to speak about the companions as a whole, right? And so there are certain criteria that we have been given that, that we can immediately recognize what this person is trying to do. So in a similar manner, when you see, when you see that there are certain people who come about and you see what they're trying to do is, they're trying to undermine the ahadith which speak about the splitting of this Muslim nation and splitting into various groups and parties. And this is from the signs of the truthfulness of the Messenger of Allah that he informed things about his nation, which, are, which, which is clear evidence that he was given ilm from his Lord and from them, from those hundreds and hundreds of instances, from them is this instance of the hadith of splitting. And so you see these people present, they are trying to undermine this hadith and try to say it is inauthentic and they go into all the technical discussions and things like that. Straight away when we look at them doing what they're doing, the matter is clear, we know exactly what they're trying to do. They have an underlying methodology that they are upon. And indirectly they are trying to support that methodology of falsehood by undermining these texts, right? The same as what the Jahmiyyah were doing back in that time. They were trying to undermine the ahadith of the Messenger of Allah which relate to the attributes because they didn't like those ahadith because they went against their false creed and their false methodology. So they laid down principles and false foundations which were innovated that we only accept ahad hadith. We, you know, we, we, we don't accept the uh, majaz, the, the allegorical things. Like, they made these principles, the Mu'tazah, they invented these principles. The aim was to undermine these texts in order to support their false, their false methodology. So similarly, there are people who hate and dislike these texts. The Jahmiyyah, when you read the ayat of the sifat or the ahadith of the sifat, it actually enrages them and it, they become angry at these texts. And likewise, these people today who oppose the Salafi methodology, when you read these texts to them, it enrages them because these texts go against whatever program or methodology they have in mind, which they have invented from themselves, which is not from the way of the Salaf. So the Shaykh says that the Jama'ah is not the Jama'ah of Hassan al-Banna, or Ikhwan al-Muslimin, or you know, the false understandings of the Jama'ah that they basically speak about. The Jama'ah is whatever agrees with the truth. So if you are a Salafi, you are upon the way of the Salaf in your town, in your city, and everyone else is a Rafidi, Shi'i, Sufi, Jahmi, Mu'tazili, Ash'ari, whatever else, you are one person, you are the Jama'ah, you are the Jama'ah, because you are sticking to the Jama'ah of the Sahaba. That is the asal. The asal of the jama'ah, which it returns back to, is the sahaba radiallahu anh, because they were the first jama'ah to be united upon the haqq. So everyone who is with them and upon what they're upon, he is from the jama'ah. The jama'ah is not a political party. It is not a club. It is not a revolutionary movement. This is not the meaning of jama'ah. 
right? This is not the local Amir or things of that nature which we find amongst the very rather the Jama'a, ma wafaq al haq whatever agrees with the truth. The Shaykh emphasizes uh, that uh, that point. And then the third point that he mentions to us in order to console us is the third thing that we remember is the what the the, the narration which some of the people of knowledge, they declare it to be an authentic hadith, and some of them relate it to be an athar. Uh, but it is the statement, يَحْمِلُ هَذَا الْعِلْمِ مِنْ كُلِّ خَلَفٍ عُدُولُهُ يَنْفُونَ عَنْهُ تَحْرِيفُ الْغَالِينَ وَانْتِحَالِ الْمُبْطِلِينَ وَتَأْوِيلِ الْجَاهِلِينَ This knowledge will be carried in every generation by the trustworthy ones. They will remove from it the distortions of those who exaggerate and the fabrications of the falsifiers and the false interpretations of the ignorant. So this means that Allah will establish in all times, in all places, scholars who will perform this role of protecting and preserving the deen of Allah And so we are consoled that we know and we can turn to and identify such people this is why we can say today that in our era, in our time, there is Sheikh uh, uh, Al-Albani rahimahullah ta'ala and Sheikh Ibn Baz rahimahullah and Sheikh Ibn Thaymeen rahimahullah and then likewise the various other scholars, Sheikh Ahmed al-Najmi, Sheikh Muqbil, uh, Sheikh uh, Zayd al-Madkhali, Sheikh Rabi' Sheikh al-Fawzan and so on and so forth. There are scholars that we can turn to. We know clearly and manifestly from their speech and action that they are upon the truth and they clarify the truth. So we have scholars that we can that we can basically turn to. And this reminds us of another hadith in fact uh, of Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu a tremendous hadith in which the messenger of Allah he said it's related by Muslim and also by Imam Ahmed ma min nabiyyin ba'athahu Allah fi ummatin qabli illa kana lahu min ummatihi hawariyin wa ashab there was no prophet that Allah sent to a nation before me except that there was from amongst his nation helpers and companions. Helpers and companions. They would take from his sunnah and they would follow his command. Right? So they were from the people, they were, they were, they were, they were from you know, every single prophet, every single uh, that Allah sent. So, for example, Musa Islam had companions and helpers. Isa Islam had companions and helpers. They were taken from the Sunnah and they were abiding by the command. Then after them, there appeared generations. They would say things that they would not do. And they would do things that they were not commanded with. So whoever فَمَنْ جَاهَدَهُمْ بِيَدِهِ فَهُوَ مُؤْمِنْ وَمَنْ جَاهَدَهُمْ بِلِسَانِ فَهُوَ مُؤْمِنْ وَمَنْ جَاهَدَهُمْ بِقَلْبِ فَهُوَ مُؤْمِنْ وَلَيْسَ وَرَاءَ ذَلِكَ مِنَ الْإِيمَانِ حَبَّةَ خَرْضَلٍ So he said, and then after them came a people, they began to say that which they didn't do. Right? So they wouldn't act upon the knowledge. And then they began to do that which they were not commanded. So then they began to act upon ignorance. And so whoever strives against them with his hand is a believer. Whoever strives against them with his tongue is a believer. Whoever strives against them with his heart is a believer. 
and there is not beyond that a seed's weight of Iman. If you re reflect upon this hadith, you will see that here is described the traits which are mentioned in Surah Al-Fatiha. اِحْدِنَ السِّرَاطُ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ سِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَضَّالِينَ There are those who do what they, who, who do not, who say what they do not do. They don't act upon the ilm. When you do not act upon the ilm, this brings upon the anger of Allah Azza wa Jal. And this is the sifat overwhelmingly amongst the Yahud. And then there are those who do what they were not commanded. They do what they were not commanded. So this is like acting upon ignorance in the absence of knowledge. And this is the attribute or the overwhelming trait or the quality of the Nasara, the Christians. They acted upon ignorance and knowledge. So these traits which are mentioned here in this hadith, it is, the hadith is telling us that every prophet who was sent, he initially had some followers. And then after those generations passed away, that nation, it acquired two traits and two characteristics. One characteristic was that they failed to abide by the knowledge which they had. And the other characteristic was, is that they began to act upon ignorance. They began to innovate things into the religion upon other than knowledge. And so in other words, this now is a warning against following the traits of the Yahud and the Nasara. And this happened in every, in every, every nation. So the point being that again, linking this to what came before, those who are the Hawariyun and the Ansar, the helpers and the aiders, they are the ones whom we are sticking to and following. Why? Because they are the ones who are favored by Allah, because they are the ones who combine between ilm and amal. So as you can see, there are, there's a recurring theme in everything that we've mentioned so far, from the beginning, from the statement of the scholars, from the legend of Da'ima, to the point that we are at now. Right? That we are combining ilm, with Amal and that there are scholars who call to that upon Basira and that we are upon that way and so long as we are upon that way then we are not hurt or harmed by the large number of opposers and the large number of people who oppose that way. So now the Sheikh goes on to uh, the, the questions go into uh, some of the uh, who are the Salaf, what are their names who are the Tabi'een and who are the ones, you know, who established Salafiyya? Was it Ibn Taymiyyah? Was it Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab? The Shaykh goes on to discuss some of those questions. We'll leave them and we're going to move on to the part where the questioners, they ask him, is it possible for us to explain some of the Qawaid, some of the principles of the Salafi methodology? We want to move on to the actual principles. So, the question says, Jazakallahu khairan, hal min al-mumkin an turida lana ba'd al-qawaid min al-manhaj salafi? May Allah reward you. Is it possible for you to now mention to us some of the principles of the Salafi methodology? So the Shaykh in this lecture, he mentions four. I'm going to go through them uh, fairly quickly, inshallah ta'ala. And we move on to the next um, from Shaykh Abdulislam al-Burjis, uh, inshallah. So the first principle he mentions, al-qa'idatul ula al-intisabu ila salafiyyah so this is the first principle that the shaykh mentions the first is actually making an ascription to the salafi way the shaykh says many of those who claim that they are ahl sunnati wal jama'ah 
they are upon guidance, they are following the Sahaba. When you actually make the ascription to the Salafi way, you see that, they, that they, it really, really disturbs them. They dislike ascription to the way of the Salaf. So the first thing that we do to make ourselves clear is we, we, is we make an ascription to the way of the Salaf. This is from the most distinguishing character, characteristics of the people of truth. They make it clear that we are Muslims upon the way of the Salaf. In other words, we are Salafi Muslims. Now to explain this, we need to understand first of all that this naming and this label is out of necessity, right? So for example, in the time of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Sahaba, there was no single, there was no single deviation, there was no innovation. Islam was the name for the deen of Allah and everyone was known as a Muslim, right? And there was no need to make any distinction because there was, there, was, there, there, there was no deviation, there was no group, there was no firqa, there was, there was, there was no creed opposing the creed of, of the Muslims. Everyone was upon the haqq and so everyone knew each other as upon Islam and as a Muslim. Then there occurred whatever Allah willed to occur. There were some people who they revolted against Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu and they eventually assassinated him led by a group of the hypocrites from the people who had enmity towards Islam and wanted to destabilize Islam and the Muslims. They came, this is known as the first fitna, the killing of Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Prior to this time, in terms of the transmission of knowledge, in terms of names, everyone was a Muslim. And because trustworthiness and truthfulness was widespread, you could take ilm and you didn't need to ask questions, right? Because no one would be telling lies, everybody's trustworthiness was established. But then when this fitna took place, then it was clear that there were two types of people. There were those people who revolted and who supported this revolt and they were known to be people of falsehood and misguidance because of the ahadith of the messenger of Allah which informed about these affairs that they were going to transpire. So the Sahaba knew that these are the people being, being spoken of by the messenger of Allah who are going to kill Uthman and they are going to, this is going to lead into a civil war between two big groups of Muslims and those two big groups of Muslims are going to fight each other and after that there's going to appear a group and the other khawarij who are going to appear. All of this, the Sahaba knew all of this. So when this, fitna, when this fitna occurred, then knowledge now, the Sahaba only began to take knowledge and the Tabi'een from those whom they knew, the people of the Sunnah. So now, to say Ahlul Sunnah, this term was never present before. It wasn't needed before, because everybody was upon the Sunnah. But now, there's an issue which has arisen. There's this separation, this turmoil, the killing of Uthman and a group of the Khawarij have appeared and they have a movement and there are people who support them and so therefore now it is important to distinguish between the people of the Sunnah who stick to the Sunnah and the people who are other than that. And then added to that the Jama'ah, the Jama'ah are those who adhere and stick to the, to the ruler and to the authority 
to Ali radiallahu anhu and you know the, the united body of, 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 of the Muslimin. So now those who do so, uh, which are, which are the, the, the companions, they are known as Ahlu Sunnati wal Jama'ah, the, one the ones who adhere to the truth, the Sunnah, and they adhere to unity as well. Ahlu Sunnati wal Jama'ah. This term wasn't present before, but the Sahaba began to use it to make that distinction. And then in the second century, there appeared what there appeared after the, you know, the, the Qadariyah and the Murjiyah, then there came the Jahmiyyah and the Mu'tazila. And so we see that the Ummah became more divided and more split. So when this occurred, we find that the Tabi'een who learned from the last of the Sahaba, from the likes of Imam al-Zuhri, Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani, from the early part of the second century, from them we start seeing statements that you should stick to the way of the Salaf, adhere to the way of the Salaf, right? Why is this? Because this was something necessary to explain in the presence of all of these various groups and sects and parties which appeared, splitting the Muslim nation, and it was necessary to make that distinction, right? So we say that the Islam that we are following is the Islam of the Salaf, of the Sahaba. And it is necessary for us to make that distinction. Otherwise, if we do not make this distinction, it is not possible to separate the Haqq from the Batil. This is why it is from the most hated of things. It is the most hated of things to the Jahmi, Ash'ari, Maturidi, Sufi, Mu'tazili, Ikhwani, Tablighi, every single faction, even amongst those, the non-Muslims, right, who know and understand what it means to be a Salaf. It means to go back to the Islam of the Sahaba, right? It, actually, it is detested by them that we actually make intisab, that we make ascription to this way. And this is the first principle that the Sheikh mentions. The question that follows on from this, why are they, you know, why are they disturbed by this and why do they, do they not like this? The Sheikh then goes on to mention some evidences and some proofs from the Sunnah. We won't go into that into too much detail for, the, for, for want of time. But essentially, he, he mentions the statement of Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, There's no blame upon the one who proclaims the way of the Salaf and who ascribes to it and associates with it. Rather, it is obligatory to accept that from him by unanimous agreement, for indeed the madhab of the Salaf is not anything except the truth. So Shaykh al-Islam mentions this as an, you know, as an agreement of the scholars. Likewise, he also says, مِنْ عَلَامَاتِ الْبِدَعَ From the signs of the people of Bid'ah is their abandonment of following or adopting or ascribing to the way of the righteous Salaf. So the Shaykh says, uh, you will see, you will find every Khalafi, especially those present today who ascribe to these various Jama'at that are present today making da'wah, who are present and who oppose Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah, you will not find it one of these except that he dislikes Salafiyyah and he dislikes ascription to the, uh, the way of the Salaf. Then the questioner asks the follow-up question, of, or respected Shaykh, why do they why do they dislike it? What's the reason? And the Shaykh answers Al Jawab Anna Salafiya Laysat Mujarrad Nisbah. This is because Salafiya is not just a mere ascription. It's not a label that we're just attaching to ourselves. Right, like all these other groups, 
Ikhwan as a label, Tabligh as a label, or whatever labels that they might invent, Hizbut Tahrir as a label. These are all just labels, right? Under which is falsehood. When we say Salafiyyah and the way of the Salaf, what does it actually represent? It is what it represents that causes them problems. It is Tajridu Ikhlas, Tajridu Ikhlas, Lillahi, wa Tajridu Mutaba'ati lin Nabi Sallam. He says this ascription is to uh, is to be sincere, to make to be to have ikhlas to Allah meaning in tawheed, and to be sincere and pure in making ittiba of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So you call to tawheed, which is disliked by, for example, the grave worshippers and the jahmiyyah and other than them in the names and attributes, and likewise Uluhiyyah, and you call to imitating the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah which is hated by those people who oppose the methodology of the Prophets in calling to Allah. This is why they hate the label of Salafiyyah. Not because it's just a label, they don't say the word Salafiyyah, we hate it, it's because what does it represent? It represents what goes against their foundations and their innovations and their misguidance. So this is the first principle that the Sheikh mentioned, first of our principles, that we make intisab and we proclaim and we manifest. And we do this, as Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, we are proud to adhere to the way of the Salaf. And we ask Allah to give us tawfiq in ilm and amal upon that way. And that does not make us arrogant at the same time. We're not arrogant, we don't say that therefore this now, because we also believe from our principles that guidance and misguidance is in the hand of Allah Azawajal. And a man can reach the end of his life and there's nothing left between, between him. You know, he does the deeds of righteousness and at the end of his life, he's misguided and he does the deeds of the people of hellfire. So we, when we say that we, when we, we, we are proud in accordance with what Sheikh Al-Fawzan said, we say that we are proud of the truth. But at the same time, we are fearful upon ourselves. It is not a type of pride which is, which is one of arrogance, right? It is the type of pride that we are that we are proud that Allah has guided us upon the way of the Sahaba and we want that for other people as well and at the same time we are humble enough to realize that if Allah wants he can misguide you if you do not act upon that ilm right so we, we, we combine all of these things together and so uh, the, the, the point that, that, we, that, we were, that we were making was that yeah, we, we proclaim, we manifest, we make it known, and we're not shy to do this. We're not fearful of all of these false, gra- false claims and propaganda, whether it comes from non-Muslim academics who try to make a connection between Salafia and extremism, right? This is, we should laugh at these people. We should mock the intellects of these people. How can you, how can you treat these khawarij? The khawarij were the enemies to the Sahaba, right? So what these, what these people are trying to do is trying to say that these ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Ikhwan, all of these people, these are Salafis, these are Salafists, and they're extremists and terrorists, right? We should mock the intellects of these people, we should laugh at them, we should ridicule them for their stupidity and their ignorance, and I think in many cases it is chosen and willful. It is not that you're ignorant, it is is you're doing on purpose, right? Because, think about it, the Messenger of Allah and his companions on the one hand, and you have Dhul Khuwaisira At-Tamimi, that munafiq hypocrite, who accused the Messenger of Allah of being unjust, 
right, and not establishing social justice, him and his followers eventually, they rebelled, they assassinated Uthman radiallahu anhu, they fought against Ali, they instituted a split in the religion, they killed the Sahaba, they killed many, many of the Sahaba, right? They are the Khawarij whom the Messenger of Allah told us about, right? These people then broke away and they established an Islamic state. Abdullah bin Wahab al-Rasibi, right? And other, and the other leaders of the Khawarij, they went to, they went to um, Nahrawan, they split off. And over a period of two years before Ali fought them, they were recruiting young, ignorant, foolish people from the various cities, Kufa and other places like that. Upon the same principles of Hakimiyyah, Taqfir, Khuruj, there is no Islam present today, Ali is a Kafir, we are sinful if we do not establish Hakimiyyah again. It is exactly the same language that they were using back then. Identical to what ISIS Al-Qaeda are using today, right? So, so that Islamic state, a false, fake Islamic state, Ali radiallahu anhu went and fought against them and annihilated them, right, and destroyed them. And then some of them out of revenge, they came back and they actually assassinated Ali. And then there were some remnants of the Khawarij left from the wisdom of Allah, from the wisdom of Allah, that there were some of them left, they escaped to various lands, and from them the seeds of the Khawarij were sown, and then they will start appearing in every age and era, right? So how can you, how can you claim how can you make a link between ISIS al-Qaeda and how can you claim they are Salafis? When they make takfir of the Salafi scholars and they make takfir of the, of, of, of the rulers and they make takfir of the Salafis and call them you know, worshippers of the Taghut, how can you even make that connection between Salafiya and between these ISIS terrorists? Right? So there are some people who are, they are, they are weak, they are weak, they think, oh my gosh, Everyone's speaking about Salafiya. Salafists are extremists, they're terrorists, they're, they're conservative, they're this, whatever. And so there are some people who are weak in their Iman. They are weak in, in their knowledge. And so they feel as if they are being ambushed and they need to concede. Don't be like that. Don't be like this. Right? There's no need to be like that. As the Sheikh says, we are, we, 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 are, we are honored that we should be upon the way of the Messenger of Allah who said, that if I was to reach those people, those meaning those terrorists, those khawarij, I would slaughter them like the slaughtering of Ad. Why should you be fearful of, of, of identifying yourself as being upon the way of the Salaf? When this is the way of the Salaf, they fought against the khawarij and whoever followed them in their footsteps. And likewise today, who are the ones fighting against the khawarij? The scholars, they, they, you know, they, 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 they establish this as being from the Sunnah when it is undertaken by the rulers, that this is from the forms and types of jihad. So the point being, with this ascription towards Salafiyyah, we should not feel uh, uh, scared or just because we see so many people writing on this topic and writing with falsehood and lies and fabrications and exaggerations and things which are clearly untrue, do not be harmed by this. And as for these academics, you know, who've been trying for the past 10, 15, 20 years, right, dividing Salafis into Salafi, you know, uh, the Salafi jihadists and Salafi quietists and Salafi activists, all of this is batil, right? These people, the academics who are writing these things, they've actually been brainwashed by the actual propaganda of the terrorists themselves. They are the victims of the terrorists and extremists, of their propaganda. 
because the ones who invented all of these different distinctions were actually the Muslim Brotherhood, Al-Qaeda, the Jama'at of Takfir. What they, what, what, they, what they saw was they said, look, let's, let's divide Salafiyya into... So, so they found a way of putting the manhaj of the Khawarij into Salafiyya by, by making the following false distinctions. They said, right, okay, there are the uh, Salafiyya al-Islahiyya um, al or al-Ilmiyya. There are those, there's the Salafis who are basically just involved in knowledge and things like that and whatever. Then there's a Salafiyya al-Harakiyya. Then there are those Salafis who are involved in activism and whatever else. Then there's a Salafi al-Jihadiyya. Right, the Salafis were involved in jihad. All of these are just all of these are ways, you know, from within Salafiya. But really, what they were what they were trying to bring in, they were trying to bring the manhaj of the Khawarij, and to give it legitimacy by just attaching the label of Salafiya to it. Right, this is what they were, this is what they actually did. And the people who did this are are are, are these people, the the, the Ikhwan, and the Harakiyin, and the, the the various groups of Al Qaeda, and eventually what turned into ISIS. They're the ones who were writing these things. This is unknown from our scholars. This doesn't exist. So then these Western academics went and they began to start reading and looking and trying to understand what is Salafiyya. And they came upon the books of these people. And then they began, then they saw, they saw this distinction, this classification. Then they took it and they were affected by it. Right? Then they began to start writing about, about Salafis. Yes, there is the, there's the, uh, jihadi Salafis who are ISIS, then there is the Haraki Salafis which are like the Sururis, Qutbis, and then you have these quietest Madkhali, all, bring all these labels. All of these are false and have no basis, right? Either you are Salafi upon the usul of the Salaf or you are a Khariji. There's, there's, there's no in-between, right? So either you are following the usul of the, the, the Salaf in relation to the scholars and the rulers and in terms of rectification, manhaj of da'wah, are you upon this way? Or you are basically a khariji. You are either a qa'di, someone who sits and incites other people, or you are actually a khariji who comes out and who's involved in the khuruj. There's no, there's no such thing as, you know, a haraki and a, all of this is false. This is not true. So the point being, do not be scared by these academics. Right now, because of the efforts of Salafis in refuting their falsehood and their propaganda, now it is accepted, becoming, becoming accept, accepted that Salafiyya itself, you can't label all of those who ascribe to Salafiyya as being extremists. Rather, the vast majority of Salafis are actually, that they, they, are, they are not, not upon extremism, right? So this is because of the efforts of the Salafi scholars refuting these fabrications and these lies, refuting the Khawarij and... Uh, so, so there's no need to be apologetic and whatever. There's nothing to apologize for, because we are the Khawarij are our greatest enemies, and they are, we are greatest enemies to them. It is very clear. It's known to everybody. What is it to apologize for? Right? Explain the haq, explain the truth, and explain what Salafiya is, and no need to be apologetic or step on the back foot or anything like that at all. Second principle, the Sheikh mentions for I'll mention very quickly. Second principle, yu'raf. This is from the principles of Salafiyya. The Sheikh just mentions it very, very briefly. He says, the meaning of this principle is that men are known by the truth. And we don't know the truth by way of men. So meaning, the Sheikh says, the meaning of this qa'idah is that a man is described as being from Ahlul Sunnah 
and that is upon the truth when there's no kind of innovations or deviations which are with him and he is upon the truth right what is the sign that he's upon the truth it is that we look at his speech we look at his action and we look at what he is saying what he is doing and we evaluate him by way of the truth we come to know him by way of the truth but it is not the other way around it is not that just because what a man is saying and doing that that now is a proof for the truth rather his rather the truth is used to evaluate his actions and it is not the other other way around just because a man is following a certain way or has a certain speech or doing a certain action this is not evidence that he is actually correct rather his actions and his deeds are known and evaluated by the truth and what is the truth the sheikh says annas wal ijma annas is a text a text is something from the quran or something from the sunnah correctly understood or ijma and ijma which is the consensus of the sahaba we use these two things a text or a consensus to judge the actions of an individual is he upon the truth or not and it is not the other way around a third principle is regarding al-hub wal-bughd which is regarding love and hate hating for the sake of Allah and loving for the sake of Allah the sheikh says he was asked why have you mentioned this principle and the sheikh says the answer is because there are many people who claim that they are callers to Allah and when you see them you see that on this foundation on the foundation of loving for the sake of Allah and hating for the sake of Allah you will clearly see a flaw a mistake and this is an indi- can be an indication that they are not genuinely following the way of the salaf there are many people who conceal and hide right they say yes i'm with you and i'm upon the haq and upon the truth then when you look at his statements and his actions who does he speak ill of who does he speak good of who is his company with who's who whose company is he never with when you see a man how he behaves and who he mixes with and and who he speaks ill of and who he speaks good of this now is a proof of what he's really containing what is really got in his heart this is why this principle of al-hubb wal-bughd which is the principle of loving and hating for the sake of Allah it is from the greatest principles of the people of 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 of, of the sunnah of tawhid and of the sunnah and it is something that was implemented by the sahaba radiyallahu ta'ala anhum unlike by the by the tabi'in by the salaf in that they would evaluate a man and what he is upon by way of those whom he loves and by those whose company he keeps so this is a lengthy lengthy topic a lengthy uh, principle and the sheikh then mentions uh, that as for ahl sunnah then the foundation of love and hate is not around individuals rather it is for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then he mentions the athar the authentic akhbar al-hubb fi Allah wal-bughd fi Allah wal-muwalat fi Allah wal-mu'adat fi Allah wal-man'u lillah wal-i'ta'u lillah that there are texts which establish all of these that the one who loves for the sake of Allah hates for the sake of Allah has loyalty for the sake of Allah and disloyalty for the sake of Allah who withholds for the sake of Allah and who gives for the sake of Allah all of these are sifat the attributes of the one who has perfected and completed his iman
They are from the perfection and completion of one's Iman. So from here then we could then go into more detail and start looking at how the Sahaba implemented this principle in terms of evaluating and judging a person by way of his companionship. Right? This is why these people detest and hate the Salafi da'wah. Because it is a da'wah that is based upon the facts and realities in, in all the various fields. And from those fields is the field of human nature itself. Human nature is such that you are going to be with those whom you love. It's from human nature. You are going to mix with and choose the company with and be pleased with the people for whom in your heart there is love. Right? And so these principles that we see, this is why Salafiyyah is a protection. It is a protection in so many different ways. And so when we see the Sahaba and, and, and the Salaf implementing these affairs, such as for example when a man in a town, everyone says he's, the, he's a person of the Sunnah or whatever, and then you ask, well who does he keep company with? A man in Baghdad for example, why well, he's, he's always with the, with the Qadaris. People upon Qadr, we say, well, no, this man is a Qadri. How can he be a person of the Sunnah? He's with the Qadriya. So this is something that even if you are not a scholar, you don't have to be a scholar. This is why Salafiyyah is a protection for every person. If you are not a scholar, you can implement these principles to know what a man is upon. Even if you are not able technically or with, with ilm to fathom what is this man saying? Is it wrong? Is it right? You don't, you don't need to be like that. You just need to apply some of these protective principles. Who is he mixing with? Who is he sitting with? Which masajid is he going to? Who is he listening to? From that you can immediately tell I know what this guy is about. Right? I don't now need to argue with this man about all the technical details and whatever for him to bamboozle me and confuse me. Right? All I need to know is who is he mixing with? Who is he sitting with? And so forth. And I know exactly what this man is about. This is why Salafiyah is a protection for everybody. For the alim and for the non-alim. And this is why these people they detest it when we teach the usul of Salafiyyah to the, to the common people. There's nothing more detested to them than that we should teach the people the religion according to how the Sahaba understood it. Why? Because it then protects the, the, the average common person in the society. It protects them from being misguided by those people who are just interested in gathering numbers together. Right? Let's gather numbers together. Why? Because they have a program, they have an agenda, right? They have some program that it's, it, it could be nationalistic. It could be to do with they're trying to rebel or something. Tr There's some program that they have got going. Or it is because of the hazab to a party, to a madhab, right? To a fiqh madhab or something like that. They want. It protects the average person from being misguided by the ahwa, by the desires. That's why they hate this. So al-hubb wal bughd is from the firm foundations, the general broad principles that we implement. We tell the people that your love and hate should be for the sake of Allah. If you stick to this way, you will not be misguided. And this will be a completion and a perfection of your iman, of your faith. The fourth principle is al-raddu ala al-mukhalif. Al-raddu ala al-mukhalif. From the great foundations, it is refutation of the opposer. To refute the one who opposes and deviates is from the greatest foundations of Islam itself. It is, in, it is from the firm foundations in the Quran, from the firm foundations in the Sunnah. 
and from the firm foundations of the Salafi methodology. You've already heard the hadith that we mentioned earlier on from uh, Ibn Abbas, uh, Ibn Mas'ud about how in every nation that the Prophet was sent to that there would be the initial followers, then there would be those who would take the path of the Yahud of not acting upon ilm and the way of the Nasara of acting upon Jahl. And the hadith says, فَمَنْ جَاهَدَهُمْ بِيَّدِهِ فَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٍ and so on and so forth. That hadith is a clear evidence of الرَّدُّ عَلَى الْمُخَالِفِ of refuting the opposer and that it is something commanded by the Messenger of Allah and so those who established this at the very beginning were the Sahaba themselves. They opposed the Khawarij, they opposed the Qadariya, they opposed the Rafida, they opposed the uh, Murji'a and then after them came the Tabi'een, they opposed the Jahmiya, opposed the Mu'tazila. They are the ones who laid down these affairs of refuting the opposer for us in order for our religion to be, to be protected and kept pure. So the Shaykh says, uh, he answers the question <clears throat> that yes, there are um, many, many people who unfortunately see that refuting the opposer, they claim that it is something that causes splits and divisions and that the Ummah needs to be united and it needs to be brought together and so on and so forth. So how can we refute those who reject this principle of refuting the uh, opposer? So the Sheikh then goes on to mention, he goes on to explain this principle in some detail. He lays some foundations for the answer. He first of all answers the question as to what is the foundation of unity to begin with. So those people who are claiming we need to unite the Ummah, first of all we need to answer the question, what is the foundation of unity itself? The foundation of unity is it is to make the religion purely and sincerely for the sake of Allah, which is the Tawheed of Allah and then the rights of Tawheed which follow from that, which are the obligations and the Fara'id. Right? So we need to first of all establish this, that's the first thing. What is the foundation of the unity? Secondly from the foundation of unity is warning against everything Allah dislikes and hates and is displeased with. And from the greatest of those affairs that Allah dislikes and hates and is displeased with is ashirku billah, committing shirk with Allah. And then after that, to warn from everything which is from the major sins and the innovations and the deviations. So in other words, this itself is the foundation of unity. And this itself is what the Qur'an came with. What did the Qur'an come with? The Qur'an came, how did it unite the Arabs in the peninsula? It came with these two things. It came with ikhlasu dinilillah, making the deen purely and sincerely for Allah. And then in the Quran, we see Allah refuting in detail a shirk and its people and its false arguments and all of the khurafat of the, of the pagan Arabs of Jahiliyyah and other than them, right? And all of the other, the adyan, refuting all of the, uh, you know, the falsehood. And through that, unity was brought about among the Sahaba who prior to that were upon enmity and hatred and war and so on and so forth and yet Allah brought them all together. So this is the foundation of, of unity and this is what leads to the jama'ah, the jama'ah. So the shaykh comes back again to the issue of the jama'ah and so the jama'ah that we are interested in is the jama'ah that unites the hearts first which then leads to the unity of the bodies.
and it has to have a criterion and the criterion is what the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam came with so the sheikh then goes on to mention some texts which are proofs for refutation of the opposer from them is the hadith man ahdatha fi amrina hadha ma laysa minhu fa huwa rad whoever introduces into this religion of ours what is not from it it will be rejected this hadith is a clear evidence for the principle of refuting opposition likewise man amila amalan laysa alayhi amruna fa huwa rad whoever does a deed does an action which is not in accordance with our affair will have it rejected both of these are from the hadith of Aisha radiyallahu anha and are related by Muslim. So he mentions these texts, likewise he mentions the famous hadith of Al-Irbad, uh, I advise you with the taqwa of Allah and hearing and obeying even if an Abyssinian slave is appointed over you. And beware of the newly invented affairs, for indeed the one who lives for long after me from among you will see great controversies so upon you is to follow my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided khulafa hold on to them bite onto them with your with your molas and likewise another hadith innahu lam yakun nabiyun qabli qat illa kan illa kana haqqan alayhi an yudilla ummatah ala khayri ma ya'lamuhu lahum wa an yunzirahum sharra ma ya'lamuhu lahum there was no prophet before me ever except that it was a duty upon him to direct his nation to the good of whatever he knew for them and to warn them from the evil of whatever he knew for them and indeed this nation its well-being has been put in the first part of it and as for the latter part of it it will be afflicted with calamities and affairs that you are going to dislike Right, so this again is from what the Messenger of Allah told us about afflictions and calamities coming to this nation and from them is the splitting and so on and so forth. And here uh, he quotes from Imam Malik who said that Wahab bin Kaysan used to come to us <coughs> and <coughs> he would not stand and leave until he would say, I'lamu, know that this nation will not be corrected and rectified except what corrected and rectified the first part of this nation. So here the Sheikh has established evidences, a small number of evidences for the proof of the principle of refuting the opposer who opposes the truth. Then the Sheikh goes on to give many examples from the, because the questioner asks him, where's the evidences from the Sahaba and the Tabi'een that they actually did this. So he then brings some citations from Umar ibn al-Khattab, and Ibn Abbas, so we'll, we'll just mention one of those statements, Ibn Abbas says, for example, radiallahu anhu, by Allah, I do not think anyone is more beloved that that person should perish to shaitan except me. <coughs> Meaning that there's no one whom shaitan loves more that he should perish on this day than me. So they said to him, how? Why? Why should shaitan, you know, uh, you know want you to perish so much? He said, تَحْدُثُ الْبِدْعَةِ فِي الْمَشْرِقِ أَوِ الْمَغْرِبِ فَيَحْمِلُهَا الرَّجُلْ إِلَيَّ فَإِذَا حَمَلَهَا إِلَيَّ قَمَعْتُهَا بِالسُنَّةِ فَتُرَدُّ عَلَيْهِ An innovation appears in the east or in the west. So a man then comes and he brings it, he carries it to me. And then I destroy it 
with the sunnah and it is then rejected against him and so this is a clear evidence that Ibn Abbas used to refute innovations they would come from the east or from the west and he would refute innovations right where are those people today who say that all that the Salafi scholars do is refute the refuting tablighis or ikhwanis all the refuting where, where, where are you to, to, to Ibn Abbas and the Sahaba this is what the Sahaba used to do because in the time of the Sahaba there were innovations that would appear for example those men whether in action or belief those men who were sat in circles outside the mosque they were doing dhikr with the stones counting a hundred times right the Sahaba came uh, you know Ibn Mas'ud and he showed rejection upon them, upon them very very severely he said look the messenger of the Sunnah has passed away his pots are still intact and you think you are following away better than, than, than his companions you know and he, and he, he reprimanded, reprimanded them very very severely so the point being Ya Ikhwan if we leave uh, many of the other texts and examples that the Shaykh uh, brings uh, we see clearly that refutation of the opposer is from those distinguishing principles of the people of the truth because had it not been for them refuting the truth and the opposer then this nation would have been no different to the nation of the Yahud because from the traits of the Yahud is to turn a blind eye to the misguidance which is happening in their midst and to not refute misguidance and to accommodate the misguidance so had it not been for this principle in our religion then this deen would have become the, it would have become the same way as the deen of the Yahud <coughs> and so the Sheikh then goes on to give one more important example I should mention of evidence of refuting the opposer and there's a tremendous lesson in this example this is the example of when the Sahaba عنهم, were on the way to a battle with the Messenger of Allah and as they were going they saw that they, they knew that the mushriks used to hang their swords off a tree the weapons off a tree and this tree was known as that Anwab and this hadith is mentioned in Kitab al-Tawheed and those who were new to Islam at that time they were new, they entered Islam they said, O Messenger of Allah will you not make for us a that Anwat just like they, the polytheists, have a that Anwat so now, look at this now and this is a proof for the principle of refuting the opposer without delay without delay right without looking at you know whatever the messenger of Allah said Allahu Akbar first of all he made an exclamation of amazement that they should say such a thing and he said innaha sunan indeed these are the ways meaning that what you've just done and what you've just said and the action you've just performed indeed these are the sunan these are the ways which you have said you have just said exactly what the Bani Israel said to Musa when he led them out when Musa led Bani Israel out they said to him make for us a deity just like they the polytheists have deities so the Bani Israel said that to Musa so the messenger of Allah he showed this rejection against these Sahaba and there are some important lessons that the Shaykh derives from this 
incident. He says that um, in this, in the, in this, in this uh, statement of the Messenger of Allah, and likewise in the particular time which it happened, there is important lessons for the for the da'iyah, for the one who calls to Allah. He says, first of all, look at the wording between what the Sahaba said and what the Banu Israel said to Musa. The Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah. They addressed him as, O Messenger of Allah. Whereas the Banu Israel, they said, O Musa. So this shows, first of all, the superiority of the people of this nation in the way that they show respect to the Messenger. They said, O Messenger of Allah. They didn't say, O Muhammad. They said, O Messenger of Allah. Whereas those people, they would simply say to Musa, O Musa. They would disrespect him and they wouldn't speak uh, you know, to him with words of respect. Secondly, um, that the companions of uh, Muhammad Sallam, they, they addressed him clearly with the word of risala, with, you know, with, with respect and with you know, so on and so forth. Whereas those Banu Usra'il, they spoke with su'al adab, with evil mannerisms and so on and so forth. Secondly, the companions said, make for us that that anwab, make for us, that, they didn't say make for us a deity, like what the Banu Israel said. The Banu Israel said, clean explicitly, said, make for us a god, like they have gods. The Sahaba didn't say that. They simply said, make for us a that anwat, just like they have a that anwat. Right? So the wording is different. The, the Banu Israel were very explicit in what they said, a deity, a god. But the Sahaba didn't say this. The point being, the reason why the Sheikh is mentioning these two points is that even though the Sahaba were first of all respectful by addressing the messengers in a respectful way, and secondly, they didn't use explicit, they didn't say make for us a God. They used words which were, which were not like that. They said make for us a that and what. Despite these two things, and obviously they are superior than the Banu Israel in these two things, we see that the result of it, the outcome of it is exactly the same. And the Messenger of Allah you know, he was amazed and surprised at what they said. And so he basically corrected them and you know, refuted the mistake and the error and, and, you know, there and then without consideration of the context because they were proceeding to a battle they were going to a battle and there were perhaps you know maybe 2000 of the sahaba and the ones who said this were only small in number so someone might think well okay let's just leave this issue right here now let's just leave this it's a small issue and most of them didn't say this let's continue in the battle and after the battle we can then come and correct this mistake that some of them have no, rather the issue was corrected there and then, immediately on the spot, because this thing that they were calling to, what were asking for, and obviously they were new to Islam, they didn't know, this is something that leads to worshipping other than Allah. And it is, you know, something, you know, that, that, that is, is, arises from, emanates from, from, from shirk. And so if they had entered into battle with, these kind of, with, with this kind of issue, then perhaps the battle would be lost because this is weakness that you, that, you, that you perhaps entertain these types of things. So the Sheikh says that the Messenger of Allah 
Alihi Wasallam, he corrected them and he refuted them and he likened what they said to what was said by the people of Musa Salam. and so this now is a clear evidence for the principle of refuting the opposer and it is also a refutation of those people who say today the Muslim nation is divided and they are being attacked and so on and so forth right we need to stop all these refutations and whatever else and be united this is from the greatest of ignorance of what the messenger sallallahu alaihi came with because when we look at the muslim nations and societies we see that in all of these societies there is the shirk that the messenger sallallahu alaihi warned against right and this is a point that we often repeat in our lessons in our, in our lectures and we we say that we take a lesson from all of these so-called Arab Spring revolutions that you saw in 2011, 2012, 2013, right? All of these revolutions led by the Ikhwanis and people like that, right? Where, what are the effects of these revolutions? Where, where are they now? Nothing. It's become even worse. It's become even worse than the initial situation you were trying to rectify. Why? Because these people who are behind and instigating these revolutions from the Ikhwanis and other than them, they turned a blind eye to the shirk that's happening in their midst, right? Two million people leave their towns and cities and they go to a place in Egypt called Tanta, where is the grave, where there is a grave of a man called Ahmed al-Badawi, who was known, who was basically from these hardcore Sufis many, many centuries back, right? They travel all this way and they commit shirk at this place. And within Egypt, uh, because of the, the, this... Uh, Sufism, there's, a, there's a, a general belief amongst the people upon this way that the well-being of Egypt is based around attending to the graves of these people who are buried in various locations in Egypt, right? That this is part and parcel of the spiritual well-being of Egypt and so long as we attend to them and to their graves, right, then this is, this is present. This idea is present in, the, in many uh, millions of Egyptians. So if you want to come along and you are complaining about a tyrannical ruler or an unjust ruler or you can't get your food every day or you're fearful that if you leave the house you're going to get attacked so there's, there's no risk or there's no aman, there's no security, right? What is the thing that you should be turning to in order to rectify that nation, right? And so we see that these people are completely and utterly uh, blinded and so they turn a blind eye to these affairs and they think that the problem is with the ruler. The problem is not with the ruler. The ruler, as some of the Sahaba said, إِنَّ amir min amrillah." The Amir who is appointed, this is, from the, this is from the affair of Allah, Allah is the one who appoints. He will appoint for every nation a ruler who is suited and appropriate to that particular nation, right? So that's why we say, we say, if we reflect upon, for example, we would say that some Muslim nations are so backward and there's so much corruption, like for example in, in Pakistan has been ruled generation after generation by, you know, this whole load of corruption and embezzlement of wealth and funds and lack of infrastructure and all of this is rampant. Why is, it, why is it there? 
we would say because there are tombs, mausoleums, graves, grave worship rampant in the society and the common people are upon jahl, upon absolute jahl. And at the same time where there is jahl of that type of nature and ignorance of that type of nature, then corruption is very easy to set in because, because with shirk, all of the other things, you know, the, the major sins, they, they come into play, right? Like fornication, adultery, and all the other things, magic, sihr, things like that, corruption, stealing embezzlement. Then they find, they find it easier to take root in that society, as opposed to a society that is upon tawheed. When a society is upon tawheed, the magicians go into hiding, they hide, right? Because they're scared of, of tawheed, right? And then likewise, all the other things, they, they eventually disappear from the society, drugs, the alcohol, the things like that. So we are saying that uh, from, from the important lessons from this, from, the, from this hadith of refuting the opposer is that you can see the complete misguidance of all of these jama'at, all of these groups and all these parties who claim that they are trying to rectify the ummah and trying to bring unity. The reality is that you will never, ever, ever unify and rectify the ummah except what rectified its earlier part, exactly what Imam Malik said. And there is nothing that will do that except the Salafi methodology, manhajus Salafi. There is nothing else that will achieve that except the methodology of the Salaf. And so, as you can see clearly, that the, there are usul of the Salaf, there are usul in this religion, in this, in, in this methodology of the Salaf, that, are, that, that protect a person, that safeguard a person, that, uh, uh, that make him manifestly and clearly upon the truth. So that is uh, from Sheikh Ubaid. Hafizahullahu ta'ala and we'll now try to proceed and move along with some of the other principles mentioned by Sheikh Abdul Salam and because of uh, time we will try to uh, work through it uh, concisely inshallah ta'ala to try and take as many benefits that are mentioned here so the Sheikh begins by basically saying that the Salafi Dawah is based upon certain principles and these principles distinguish Salafis and the Salafi Da'wah from all of the other groups which have left the straight path, As-Siratul Mustaqim. He says the reason why it is necessary, why I found it necessary to write about these principles is because there are so many false claimants who claim to be Ahlu Sunnati Wal Jama'ah, who claim to be upon the way of the Salaf, but in reality they are not. And so therefore it was necessary you know, they, they use this label, they use this attachment of Salaf and Salafiyya. Like we see many of the Khawarij, many of these Khawarij, they say that we are upon the way of the Salaf. Even the Ash'aris and Maturidis now, they are trying to make a claim to the way of the Salaf. Yeah, which, which is laughable for you to make this claim. That you, you're not upon the way of the Salaf, you're upon the way of Jahan bin Safwan. And, you know, the Mu'tazila, how can you claim attachment to the way of the Salaf? But anyway, these people have realized that by using the label of Salaf, we can deceive many, many, we can deceive large numbers of people because now the people are aware, they have been awakened by the da'wah of Sheikh uh, Al-Albani rahimahullah and Sheikh Ibn Baz and Sheikh Ibn Uthaymeen and, and the, you know, the scholars. People want Salafiyya. People have realized that the way of the Sahaba is the truth and we want to be upon the way of the Sahaba. This now is, the general person is looking and, you know, seeking this particular orientation. And so many people have realized that if we come along and, you know, we use these names and labels, the way of the Salaf, as Salafiyya, whatever, 
it's a way that we can acquire numbers and we can bring the common people under our umbrella. This is what people have realized. So there are many, many misguided deviant people um, who are basically using uh, this method in the name, you know, to, to apply the, the label of the self. So the Sheikh says, for that reason, I saw it necessary to explain some of these principles in order so that the people upon the way of the Salaf and the Salafi Da'wah can be distinguished from those who are basically the false claimants. And there are many, the Qutbiyya, the Sururiyya, the Haddadiyya, those who are the extremists. Uh, then you have the followers of Al-Ma'rabi and Al-Halabi and other than them. There are so many who will basically make ascription and it is necessary to distinguish you know, the truth from the false claims of these people. The Sheikh then goes on, and I'm going to really quickly summarize these principles, but they are very, very important and deep principles. The first principle that distinguishes us is al ihtimamu wal inayatu bitalab al ilm shari wa tafakkuh fiddin. The first principle is that we, as followers of the way of the Salaf, is that we have great concern with seeking knowledge seeking legislative knowledge and gaining an understanding of our religion this is what we are preoccupied with this is what you will see in our mosques this is what you will see in our lessons this is what you this is what you, you will see that we are co concerned about it is acquiring knowledge and understanding right of what of what the sahaba were upon of the religion as the messenger of Allah brought this, as you can see clearly, is the foundation of all rectification. And that's why you will see, which is a distinguishing feature, you will take any Salafi masjid, you look at what is taking place in that masjid. You will see great concern for seeking ilm, teaching tawheed, teaching sunnah, nurturing the children upon tawheed and the sunnah, gaining tafakkuh, gain, gaining understanding of the ahkam of Allah Azza of tahara, of purification, of those things which are the basic obligations, which are which are fard aini, meaning they are individual obligations upon every single person, and which no person can remain ignorant of. Right? It is that knowledge that we are teaching, and we are uh, uh, you know involved with. So we see many of the other jamaat and the groups they are preoccupied away from these affairs you will see speech coming from them things like why are you always teaching kitab al-tawheed all the time how is kitab al-tawheed going to rectify your society when you have like problems with drugs and drink and things like that whatever all these uh, absolute ignorant ignorant statements that they are making right so so you see that many of these are the people they are preoccupied in other affairs whereas we are preoccupied with al-ilm al-shari the Sheikh says the Salafi Da'wah gives the seeking of knowledge tremendous importance. It is in fact the central axis or the foundation upon which life itself is based upon. Al-Hayat, life itself is based upon ilm wal-fahm, al-ilm wal-tafakkuh. Knowledge and understanding, life is itself is built upon that. So establishing the individual, building the individual, building the society cannot be established upon anything except al-ilm al-shari, the sharia knowledge. 
One of the great problems to afflict, or one of the, the great toxins and poisons to afflict the Muslim nation in the past 100 years is the importation of all of these philosophies and ideas of the socialists and the communists, right, and of, of these writers which appeared in European countries in the 19th century. Many of these, they influenced certain thinkers and writers, right, like Maududi, Hassan al-Banna, Sayyid Qutb al-Nabahani, right, and they thought that we can take these ideas, reformulate them, repackage them, and present them in an Islamic language, and then try to use the same methods in order to, re to rectify the Muslim nation, right? And all of these affairs have brought tremendous harm, tremendous destruction to Muslim countries, nations, and societies. What you are seeing in most of the Muslim lands today, where there is you know, this turmoil, it is the result of being misled and misdirected for decades and decades and decades and decades by these false methodologies. If those nations and those societies had given importance to Sharia knowledge, Tawheed and so on and so forth, and built and cultivated generations of young, of you, of youth, like in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and that's what they focused upon by Allah, you would have seen change in all of these nations. In the North African nations, in the, the Sham, Iraq, you would have seen tremendous change and you would have seen good. But unfortunately, they were misdirected and diverted by, by, by misguided people. So the found, and, and, and it's taken these hundred years for us to learn this bitter lesson. So, no society, no nation can be established and rectified except upon al-ilmu shari ilmu And to build that type of thing, it takes time. There are some very, very impatient and ignorant people they see problems in the society such as drink and alcohol and fornication and racism and things like that and they began they begin to belittle the affairs or the effect of tawheed and the effect of adhering to the sunnah in gradually eliminating these affairs we're not saying that these affairs are going to disappear overnight but these affairs, eventually the way they're going to disappear is when you change the hearts of the people, right? If you don't change the hearts of the people and make them hate sin and disobedience, and that can only take place when they are filled with Iman and with Tawheed, if you're not willing to be patient upon that path, then whatever other methods you are going to try in order to solve these social ills and problems, they are going to be short-lived, temporary, and ineffective, right? Eventually they will not work. Eventually the people revert back to what they were upon. This is what's going to happen. Right? So these people who speak with this language, you see them present today, Juhal. Uh, in America you see these people now as well. You know, while we're always looking at the books of Shaykh al-Islam, Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab, and you know, we have drugs and this and you know, This is from Jahal. These people haven't understood the actual message of the prophets and messengers. Right? They haven't learned from the stories in the Quran or from the seer of the messenger of Allah so the point being this first asal, the shaykh brings some evidences فَعَلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لِذَنْبِكَ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ Know that there is none worthy of worship except Allah and seek forgiveness for your sin and for the believers. Surah Muhammad, verse, uh, Surah 47, verse 19. An evidence of knowledge, having knowledge, to have knowledge 
that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. Likewise, uh, he said that the paths and ways are very many. We have been ordered not to follow except the path of the Messenger of Allah. The, the, the well-known ayah that indeed this is my straight path so follow it and do not follow the other paths in case they separate you away from his path likewise when we call if we focus upon al-ilm al-shari it means that when we give da'wah to Allah we will be calling to Allah upon basira right in accordance with the ayah هذه سبيلي أدعو إلى الله على بصيرة أنا ومن اتبعني Say O Muhammad, this is my path, I call to it upon basir, upon insight I and whoever follows me You will find that those people who give attention to the shari knowledge and who go back to the books of the Salaf and go back to the book of Ibn Al-Qayyim, Ibn Taymiyyah and, and, and so on and so forth you will see that when it comes to giving da'wah and calling people to the truth, whether it is non-Muslims, Jews, Christians, atheists, Hindus, whatever, or from the firaq, like, like the Ash'aris, Maturidis, Khawarij, whatever, you will see that the, those who have the, the strongest evidences and the clearest evidences and the simplest evidences, they will always be the people of the Sunnah, who give attention to the ilm al-shari, right? Whereas all the other people you'll see will be waffle, philosophy, rhetoric, speculation. And it doesn't really do, it doesn't really convince anybody. It's just argumentation going on and on and on and on, going round in circles, like you see many of these people. Arguing with atheists, right? They're not, they haven't truly understood the argument of the Quran and the argument of the prophets and messengers. So they're just waffling and rambling using all of these philosophical arguments, the, you know, this argument and that argument and just, you know, you will find that the people of the Sunnah are always the, the, the they have the quickest route to the truth, the shortest route to the truth, the most the, the strongest, simplest evidence that is understood by the mind, and it cuts off the argument at the very beginning in the shortest way and the quickest way. And this is the same for, for everything in, in every field. And this is from the fruits and the benefits of Al Ilm Shari. That's why Imam Ahmad Ta'ala he says, Anasu ila ta'allumul ilm. People are more in need of learning knowledge than they are in need of food and drink. Because a man will be in need of food and drink in a day once or twice. You can eat once in a day and that will suffice you for the rest of the, of the day or twice. But his knowledge, but his need for knowledge is in accordance with the number of the breaths that he takes. This is because you are in need of knowledge in every instance, in every encounter, in every experience. You are in need of knowledge that is, that is going to guide you and to correct your behavior. So, this is a great and tremendous statement from Imam Ahmed. The Sheikh then goes on to explain the types of knowledge, uh, that which is obligatory upon every single person, knowledge of the basics, Tawheed, and the basic obligations, and then knowledge which is actually uh, uh, voluntary, uh, which the scholars attend to for those things which are not always obligatory like the certain rulings in certain areas so uh, that is for the scholars and to learn that type of knowledge is a virtue and something something that a person can do so we'll leave all the rest for, for sake of uh, uh, time uh, we'll move to the second principle and the second principle is the great principles of this da'wah is al-hirsu 
which is eagerness to practically implement what we know. Basically, it is acting upon ilm. So the first one is seeking ilm, and the second one is to actually act upon that ilm. It is from the greatest of the principles of, of Islam and of the Salafi da'wah. The Sheikh explains briefly, this eagerness that everyone should have is an eagerness that applies to acting upon the obligations, like the five prayers, and being righteous to one's parents, and other such similar things. Likewise, to be eager to revive the sunnah, to study the sunnah and to revive it in our daily lives, to, to spread it and revive, revive it amongst the, the, the people, as much as we are able amongst the Muslims, and to do things like the nawafil and the witr and the, you know, the voluntary things as well, to, to revive that sunnah and to make that sunnah evident and visible upon you, upon your person and in your actions, so that you are uh, uh, beautified and you are clothed in, in that sunnah, in essence, so as to speak. Abu Abdurrahman, Abdurrahman as-Sulami, rahimahullah, he said, he said that those who used to recite the Qur'an to us, meaning the Sahaba, they used to tell us and inform us that they would recite or they would hear 10 verses from the Messenger of Allah and when they memorized those 10 verses they would not follow them up with anything else meaning from the Quran until they acted upon whatever those verses contained of action so therefore we we learn the Quran and al-amal action together we learned it together meaning this was the methodology of the, of the Sahaba learn 10 verses once you've learned 10 verses stop and look okay, what is in these verses of action that I need to implement and uh, you know then they would act upon those verses and would not move to another 10 up until they have acted upon, 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 upon those 10 verses and then they proceeded in this manner and so you see he said فَتَعَلَّمْنَا الْقُرْآنَ وَالْعَمَلِ جَمِيعًا so therefore we learned the Qur'an and action together. The Shaykh says, salaf, This is the way of the Salaf, the manhaj of the Salaf. May Allah show mercy upon all of them. They would attach action to knowledge. Because action, acting with knowledge, is something that makes a person free from the severe threat which has come for abandoning acting upon one's knowledge. So by acting upon the ilm, you have now saved yourself from the severe threat that is there in the Qur'an for those who do not act upon the knowledge they have acquired. He's alluding to the statement of Allah's, uh, Allah Azza wa Jal, Ya amanu, ma la taf'alun. Kabura maqtan Allah, an ma la taf'alun. O oh, you who believe, why do you say that which you do not do? It is great, it is reprehensible, greatly reprehensible to Allah that you say that which you do not do. This is a tremendous, the whole surah is a tremendous surah, Surah Al-Saf, the 61st surah in the Quran. This surah is, if you go back to that hadith that we mentioned about uh, every prophet who was sent, and then he had some initial followers, the Hawariyin, then there came people, who, did, who said what they didn't do, this, if you read the whole of this 
surah, uh, this uh, chapter, you see it is basically that hadith is an explanation of this chapter and this chapter is an explanation of that hadith. Because in this hadith we see the mention of Musa salam and his people. We see mention of Isa salam and the people he was sent with. And at the end we see mentioned about Isa salam and the Hawari, the Hawari Yun who said that we are the helpers of Allah. All of that is connected. So it's a tremendous uh, chapter to, to refer back to and look at its explanation. So likewise he mentions the ayah, um, the example of those, مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ حُمِّلُوا التَّورَاتِ ثُمَّ لَمْ يَحْمِلُوهَا كَمَثَلِ الْحِمَارِ يَحْمِلُوا أَسْفَارًا And this is Surah Al-Jum'ah, the very next surah that comes after Surah Saf, as a connection between the two. And so uh, uh, this, this uh, chapter says, the example of those who carried the Torah and then did not, meaning act upon it, is like the donkey that carries upon its backs tomes, volumes and volumes of, of books. It just carries upon its back, meaning it doesn't, doesn't act upon, upon that knowledge. So he says that when you act upon the ilm, it leads you to the actual objective behind seeking knowledge in the first place. The entire objective behind seeking ill is to act and to correct your action and to rectify your action. That's why Al-Fudayl bin Iyad, rahimahullah, he said, لَا يَزَالُ الْعَالِمُ جَاهِلًا بِمَا عَلِمَ حَتَّى يَعْمَلْ بِهِ فَإِذَا عَمِلَ بِهِ كَانَ عَالِمًا A scholar never ceases to be an ignorant person uh, you know, through, through his knowledge until he acts upon it. When he acts upon it, it is then that he becomes an alim. So meaning that you can be acquiring knowledge and as you increase in that knowledge, you haven't yet become an alim. You haven't become an alim. It is only when you act upon that ilm that you actually become, you have the description of one who knows. Right? So an alim here is one who acts upon what he knows. So the Sheikh says, the Salafi da'wah, uh, addresses and gives up importance to this particular foundation and it you know it um, encourages people to be preoccupied with this foundation because it is from the greatest and the best of preoccupations my dear brothers and sisters just to conclude this particular principle uh, there's an uh, important issue that the sheikh mentions is that you see unfortunately many of the youth are preoccupied away from this principle He's speaking here mainly in, 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 in that land because in that time when, when this treatise was written uh, there were the Qutbiyya and the Sururiyya and people like that occupying the youth, taking them away from uh, knowledge from the major scholars, from seeking ilm and occupying them in, in affairs of politics and siyasa and things that the, the youth are just ignorant people, they don't understand and really they were trying to use them and direct them to, to, to you know, as we said before, these programs, agendas, methodologies and to misguide them, that's what they did. And so, keeping to this point, we want to again emphasize to uh, ourselves and our parents that today, 20, 25, 30 years later, the means of preoccupation in other affairs has also increased, right? With technology and things of that nature, frivolities, you know, wasting one times in entertainment and just laughing at, you know, pranks and videos and things like that. There's so many distractions that it's very easy for a person and his children to be diverted away from this important principle which is acting seeking knowledge and acting upon that ilm because the, the the distractions are just so many and overwhelming inshallah perhaps tomorrow morning we, we will speak about this in the lesson on on parents and children but the point being 
that the Salafi da'wah gives tremendous importance to this principle of acting upon ilm. And this is something that uh, we should be nurturing in our households. This leads to the third principle, and we mention it in very brief. Da'wah to ilallah, ilallah ta'ala, ala basiratin. This naturally follows, which is to call to Allah upon basir, upon insight, meaning upon knowledge, upon faham, upon understanding. So this principle is very clear. You cannot be a follower of the messenger until you are, are, are a caller to Allah, but upon basira, similar to what the messenger of Allah was doing. This is how you become a follower of the messenger of Allah. Likewise, وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ قَوْلًا مِمَّنْ دَعَى إِلَى اللَّهِ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا وَقَالَ إِنَّنِي مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ who is better in speech than the one who calls to Allah and he does righteous deeds and he says, I am from among the Muslimin. So the one who calls to Allah upon Basira, he has tremendous, tremendous rewards and he will have the reward of all of those who followed him in whatever goodness he taught to the people without anything diminishing from their rewards. This is a hadith reported by Muslim. Likewise, the statement of Ali radiallahu anhu narrating from the Prophet that Allah guides through you a single man is better for you than the best of the best of possessions, the most prized of possessions. And so what is obligatory in this, in this issue is anyone who has ilm, the condition is you don't have to be an alim, the condition is that you merely have knowledge in the issue that you are calling to. So if you have knowledge of the issue that you are calling to, an ayah and its explanation, a hadith and his explanation, a particular point of creed that you know clearly and understood from the, the way of the Salaf and you understand that, then you can call to that. You don't have to be an alim and a scholar of tafsir and a scholar of the Quran. You need to be the only condition the scholars say is an alim in the thing that you are calling to. So um, the Shaykh goes on to clarify that and he uses as evidence the hadith Ballihu Anni Walaw Ayah. Convey from me even if an ayah. So if you know an ayah of the Qur'an and you understood it correctly and you know, clearly, then you can convey that ayah and convey it to someone and give da'wah to them. So the shaykh then goes on to explain um, some of the conditions of da'wah. Number one, it should be sincerely for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal. And second, it should be in agreement with uh, the sunnah of the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He mentions many other statements from Shaykh Salaam Ibn Taymiyyah and other than that, but we'll leave that for the sake of brevity and the shortage of uh, time. The fourth principle that we give attention to as people of the Sunnah is Al-Ihtimamu Bi-Aqeedati Salaf Ilman Wa Amalan Wa Ta'liman. So we give great concern to the Aqeedah of the Salaf in terms of knowledge and action and in terms of Ta'leem, teaching it as well. And that's why, as we said, you look at the, the Masajid of the people of the Sunnah, this is what they are preoccupied in, and they are nurturing the individual, the youth, the child, and the society, and cultivating them upon the, the creed. You will find that the people who understand the Salafi creed in these great, important, vital issues of Allah's names and attributes, and the issue of Iman, what is it and its reality and its essence, and the issue of Al-Qadr, Al-Qadha, Al-Qadr, and all of the issues emanating from that. These great and mighty subjects, a person who studies them and, and reads the books of the Salaf and studies the books of the Salaf, 
and studies the books of the likes of Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Qayyim, that person will have a sounder, more authentic grasp of the creation of Allah Azza wa Jal and whatever takes place in the creation of Allah Azza wa Jal. And this is something that you will find is unique amongst the people of the Sunnah and Jama'ah, the scholars of the people of the Sunnah, that when they speak about affairs, they speak about affairs which are, which are close in accordance with the actual realities. In opposition to them, you will see, for example, by way of example, you see the Ash'aris, because of innovations that they brought into their beliefs, you will see that they will, they will, they will make tremendous mistakes in the worldly affairs as well, let alone the religious affairs. Because they made a mistake in the religious affair, they will be misguided in the worldly affair as well. Just to give one illustration, one example, one of the false principles of the Ash'aris is that they do not believe that there are, that there are asbab, there are causes and effects in Allah's creation, right? So basically, to illustrate with a quick principle, we as people of the Sunnah say that Allah created this water and from the effects he put in this water is that water removes thirst, right? So we are ascribing certain qualities and effects to the water which, which Allah put in there because Allah is the creator of all things and he put causes and effects in things. And this is how the creation of Allah operates, right? This is, this is the truth in accordance with the Quran and the Sunnah and many ayat in the Quran, right? That some things are causes for other things, right? I drink this water, this water will remove my thirst. And Allah is the one who created the water to be in that way. The Ash'aris, because they made a mistake in the names and attributes of Allah and other topics. See, when you go astray in one issue, that issue now will start affecting other areas as well. Right? So what they said in their ignorance, they said that we can't ascribe inherent attributes and qualities to things because that would mean we are taking it away from the power of Allah so we can't say, for example, that this water has an inherent property which removes thirst. Rather, what we say is that when a person drinks the water, at that very same time, Allah creates an effect in that person where his thirst is removed. And it wasn't the water that did it, but it was Allah's creative power that in that instance created that removal of thirst. Right. Now, if you speak with this principle, that means now there's no cause and effect in the creation of Allah, and so therefore we cannot do any science. Because when we study the creation of Allah, what, what are we doing? We are studying the causes and effects which Allah has put in the creation, and we are trying to understand how they work and how they operate, and through an understanding of them, we are able to facilitate our livelihood. We are able to you know, create transport and do irrigation and you know, do all sorts of things by understanding that there are causes and effects. But if you take away that principle because of a false deviant belief that you innovated because of influence that actually came from the Greek philosophy, then you are going to go into tremendous types of misguidance. And that's why many of the non-Muslims they, they, because they think the Ash'aris represent mainstream Islam, they say you Muslims are backward. That's why you Muslims, you know, you're so backward because look, you, you don't believe in causes and effects. You don't believe, you believe 
that you know your your God is creating you know the it's not the water that's removing your thirst but God is creating so they, they mock well people of Islam because they think the Ash'aris represent mainstream Islam that's not true and that's why Ibn al-Qayyim and Ibn Taymiyyah they refuted this principle in their books and they said this it, it is laughable to make this claim Ibn al-Qayyim says that it is laughable to make this claim we see in the Quran hundreds of verses which establish causes and effects Allah sends down the rain and he revives the earth by way of the rain the rain now is made a cause it has some inherent properties and strengths by which life is given right Allah creates things through things there are causes and effects in his creation so the point being look if we don't give attention to the aqidah of the salaf where we have a correct understanding right it will lead us to being misguided even in the worldly sense even in worldly affairs and that's why the people who study the aqidah of the salaf and particularly the books of Sheikh Salam ibn Taymiyyah ibn Qayyim and that's what the scholars always recommend that we study these books they will have a sounder grasp of actual reality of affairs as they actually are and that's why we give this tremendous importance to studying the uh, the affairs of aqidah the affairs of tawheed and these issues of iman and qadr and asma wa sifat and how they relate to the creation of Allah and so on and so forth and so there are many many benefits of studying these affairs and particularly Tawheed and obviously with Tawheed there are many benefits as you know uh, it saves you from the hellfire and uh, you know when, when your Tawheed is perfected then it saves you from entering the hellfire at all it wins you the intercession of the messenger of Allah there are many many benefits that the Sheikh mentions all of which you are very 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 clear uh, which, which you already know inshallah ta'ala so we will move on for brevity of time the fifth principle is the concern with the prophetic sunnah al-ihtimamu bi sunnati nabawiyyah wal hirs ala al-amal biha wal-da'wati ila thalik so being concerned with the sunnah prophetic sunnah being eager to act upon it and calling to that so very quickly just some of the evidences first of all the greatest thing that a muslim can be concerned with is the remnants and the tracks that have been left behind by the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and so um, as much as he's able so some of the evidences if you obey him you will be guided meaning the messenger of Allah follow him in order that you may be guided guided that indeed in the messenger of Allah you will find a, a beautiful model of conduct for the one who believes in Allah and the last day and mentions Allah often so again the Sheikh goes on to mention many many different texts that indicate the importance of adherence to the Sunnah and from the signs that a person is loved by Allah and from the signs that a person is genuine is that he will make ittiba of the Messenger of Allah he mentions the clear Quranic proof for that قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهِ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ say if you truly love Allah follow me then Allah will love you and forgive you your sins and Allah is indeed forgiving and merciful and so Al-Hasan Al-Basri said in relation to this ayah جَعَلَ اللَّهُ عَلَامَةَ حُبِّهِ إِيَّاهُمْ اتباع, اتباع Allah has made 
a sign of his love for them their following of the sunnah of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam so again the sheikh was on to mention uh, numerous texts in this regard about the sunnah what is the sunnah what is the definition of the sunnah and so on and so forth and the importance of sticking to it. and he finishes by saying that at the end of time those who stick to the sunnah will have a tremendous amount of reward because of the hadith of Utwa bin Ghazwan who said that the Prophet said indeed beyond you are days of patience for the one who holds on to them onto the truth onto the sunnah in that time they will have 50 the reward of 50 of the likes of you 50 times the reward of you he said O Prophet of Allah 50 of us or 50 among them meaning do you mean that a person who sticks to the truth will have 50, reward, 50 times the reward of the people in his time or are you speaking about us the Sahaba he said Bal minkum, meaning among you the Sahaba so meaning the one who sticks to the Sunnah in when it's very very difficult to stick to the Sunnah then he will have 50 times the reward of the likes of them and if you think about this Ya Ikhwan think about it the times that we are living in and how a person who's trying to stick to the Sunnah he wants to be upon the way of the Sahab he wants to rectify himself his family his society look at all of the challenges that, 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 that are coming to him not just even in, in these non-Muslim lands even in the Muslim lands why because of again modern technology and access to media things like that on so many different levels a person is being put to trial right first of all um, on the level of his individual tawheed and his ikhlas to Allah being sincere in his actions striving to do his obligations then on the level of you know he is trying to earn his rizq and, and feed his children then he's got the various jama'at and things like that with their propaganda and uh, you know shubuhat uh, 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 and confusion and things of that nature and he has to protect his family from all of that then he's, then he's on the level of you know things which are akhlaqi in nature in to do with morals and manners and the impact of society uh, and the, the, the degradation of society and the impact of, of that upon his, himself and his family he's going to deal with all of that and then a person who's trying to stick to the sunnah amidst all of these so many different you know uh, attacks and assaults which are coming to him you can now begin to appreciate that this is what this is you know you can understand what the message is speaking about here it is becoming impossible for a person to you know you know uh, uh, to 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 stick to the sunnah and even things like you know which which you know like some of the things that that are appearing now like um, you know uh, this, this gender religion and all these other mad and, and uh, things that they are you know trying to teach and make, normalize these issues this is just this is just ridiculousness and so a person who's trying to the, stick to the sunnah amidst all of these challenges which are coming to him from every direction these are glad tidings from the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam to console you and to give you strength and to reassure, reassure you and to keep, keep, keep you firm upon this path for a person like that there is 50 times the reward of those among the companions this is tremendous and so that's principle number five principle number six al-irtibat al-wathiq bi-ulama'i sunnah a strong connection to the scholars of the sunnah this is also from the distinguishing principles of the salafi da'wah 
and there are many many evidences for this uh, first of all the excellence of the ulama the excellence of the scholars how allah has praised them in the quran indeed those from his servants fear allah who are the ulama and that allah raises those in ranks meaning those who those who are being given uh, uh, knowledge and so we see that the presence of scholars is essentially it gives life to the, the, the scholars are likened to the stars. This is mentioned by uh, Ibn Rajab al-Hambli and others. The stars, they serve three functions. Number one, they are a beautification. Number two, they are a means of guidance. And number three, they repel the shayateen. Right? This is all these three things which are functions of the stars. In a similar manner, the alim upon the earth, the alim, he has three functions which are similar to the stars in the sky. Number one, he guides the people by way of the ilm, just like the stars guide the people in their journeys. Number two, uh, he is a beautification of the earth. The alim is the beautification of the earth. If there's an alim in a land, that land is beautified by the presence of that alim. Number two, and number three, the alim, he repels the uh, the, the, the bid'ah and the innovations and misguidance and things of that nature right so this is the virtue and the excellence of an alim and obviously there are many many texts that are that relate to the the virtue of the alim over the worshipper and the excellence of the alim and how when people become misguided when uh, the people when the scholars disappear because Allah takes them away and the people take ignorant ones as leaders so again for the sake of you know, uh, the, the, the lack of time uh, we won't go into all of that detail, uh, but the Shaykh mentions this as a principle and he brings a lengthy statement from Imam Sa'di rahimahullahu ta'ala mentioning the effects of the likes of Imam Ahmed rahimahullah and the effect he had upon Islam and the effect of Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah and the effect he had upon Islam and uh, Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab rahimahullahu ta'ala and so on and so forth and their efforts and what they did in reviving the servant and reviving the land. And so these are the scholars, this is the effect of the scholars. So we respect the scholars, we return back to the scholars, and we know that the affairs, you know, the, the issues that arise, we return back to those scholars. There's a movement present today of these graduates from uh, Islamic universities, they go to Islamic university, and Allah knows best, but I think initially when they go, they go there with the, with the intention that I'm going to become an alim, when I come back, I'm going to be an alim for my people. I'm going to be the same level as Sheikh Al-Fawzan. I'm going to be the same as Sheikh Abdul Muslim Al-Abbad. So he goes with this, with this self-amazement with himself, so that when he finishes, he sees himself, I'm, I'm going to be an alim for America. No need for me to go, go back to an alim, because he's living in the desert. All he knows is about coffee and dates in the morning. And as for me, then I, I, I know my community, I, I live in this country, I was born in this country, I was in this country. I am the alim of this country because I know the work. There's a movement which is which presence of, of people with this type of idea. From the likes of Shadid Muhammad, this uh, Munir Muhammad, and these kind of people, they're, they're all upon, they're, they're upon this way of thinking, right? And so these kind of people, they have with them elements of self-amazement and things of that nature. And so you see, these are the same people who are saying, about you know what is what is the three princ principles going to do? How is that going to rectify my society? 
right, belittling the affair of Tawheed and things of that nature. These are the same people. They want to break away from the ulama because they believe that the ulama are the cause of all their problems. Right? The reason why they are um, uh, you know, suffering oppression is because these ulama have somehow misguided them, misled them and monopolized them and tried to control all of this nonsense. Ya Ikhwan, do not, do not be affected by any of this nonsense. The scholars are the, uh, you know, they, they, are, they are life for the hearts because of the ilm that they convey and the judgments that they are able to derive from the Qur'an and from the Sunnah, right? So uh, we, we, this is the fifth important principle or the sixth important principle. The seventh principle is keeping away al-ibti'ad and al-hizbiyat wal-jama'at al-islamiya al-sirriya. We keep away from the so-called Islamic groups which are present, you know, they're working uh, as, as they claim to try and rectify the society. There are many of these jama'at, al-ikhwan al-muslimin, jama'at al-tabliq, hizb al-tahrir. All of these people, all of these groups, they are misguided and they misguide other people. They are not calling people to the tawheed of the messengers, but sometimes they might use the issue, one issue of tawheed, such as, for example, al-hakimiyyah, to use that as a front in order to rally the people around them to fulfill certain objectives that they have. And the objective that they have is arriving at power, reaching power, getting authority, right? That's the actual goal. And so these kind of groups, they are present, they appeared in the 20th century, and as we mentioned earlier, they misguided generations upon generations, millions upon millions of youth in the Muslim lands and led them to wastage and ruin. And so we need to keep away from all of these jama'at and these groups. And these are the same jama'at. Sometimes they hate ascription to Salafiyyah and sometimes they'll pretend to be Salafis because they see within that is a means of acquiring a following. So we need to, we need to, we need to uh, keep away from these people. They are people of innovation, and the scholars have spoken extensively about these jama'at and the figureheads. So we return back to their refutations, the books of um, Sheikh Al-Albani, rahimahullah, his cassettes. Sheikh Rabi has written extensively on uh, you know, the, these jama'at. So we keep away from those hizbiyat, and we teach that in our masajid. Right? We teach that in our masajid, we tell our children about these groups and what they do and how they operate and how they are ignorant of the Tawheed of the messengers. Uh, we need to make them aware of these issues and help them to identify these types of uh, subversive, harmful uh, groups that call people to, to extremism. Um, principle number eight is basically a principle to do with how to behave with the scholars and the rulers. Right. So this itself is a topic in itself. I'll just quickly mention it in brief. So as you know, uh, the wulatul umur, the ones who are in authority, uh, the sunnah has come with certain guidelines and principles as to how, to beha how we behave with those in authority. And those in authority are the, uh, the, the scholars and the rulers. Wa ulil amri minkum, ulil amr, they are the, 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 the hukam and the ulama, the scholars and the rulers. So we adhere to them, we maintain unity uh, behind them, and there are many, many, many texts in the Qur'an and the Sunnah which relate to that. And uh, likewise from the action of the Sahaba, 
for, for example, in the time of Al-Hajjaj bin Yusuf, the, 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 the tyrant, when Hassan al-Basri used to advise with patience and so on and so forth, and returning back to the people of knowledge, but some hasty youth were too ignorant and charged up, and they, they rebelled, and they were all slaughtered, and they didn't bring, didn't bring any rectification, they made things worse. So these kind of issues, is, it is from the great and important principles of our religion, and we see because of a wastage of this principle, as Ibn Taymiyyah mentions in detail, because of the wastage of this principle, tremendous harm has come to Islam and the Muslims. And so we see that from the groups who are utilized to this end are the Khawarij and the Rawafid. These two groups, the Khawarij and the Rawafid, the Shia Rawafida, both of these groups initially were a revolution against the Sahaba. Right? So the Khawarij revolted against the Sahaba and the Rawafid, they also turned against all of the Sahaba. These two groups represent, as we said, a revolution against the Sahaba. In a similar way, we see that these two groups today are the same two groups, it's the same story, nothing changes, are the same groups who are being used to destabilize Muslim nations, Muslim societies, whether it is Al-Qaeda, whether it is ISIS, the Khawarij, behind them is funding, behind them is support, behind them is giving them military means, letting them wreak, wreak havoc you know, in, in the Muslim countries, in northern Africa, in Syria, in Iraq, and everywhere. Right? The Khawarij. And likewise, the Rawafid, the Rafida, they have their proxies in, in, in the Muslim countries. Right? They have these proxies of Hezbollah and, you know, in, in different places, and they're there trying to foment revolution because they want the Mahdi to appear, and they believe that the Mahdi will not appear until there are revolutions everywhere, then they can take control and power, and then the Mahdi will come and he will lead them and they will slaughter all the Sunni Muslims. So you see the Rafida and the Khawarij, they are, they are the ones who are behind all of this turmoil, and so they are the ones who deviate on this principle. They deviate on this principle with respect to the rulers and with respect to the, uh, the scholars. So, uh, this again is, is a lengthy topic and is discussed in, in detail in the books of the Salaf, but it is something that we give attention to. Principle number nine, Munabadatu Ahlil Bida' wa Tahdeer Minhum, which is to shun the people of innovation and to warn against them. And this goes back to what Sheikh Ubaid mentioned as one of the principles of the Salafi methodology is Arraddu Al Mukhalif. And Sheikh Ubaid makes uh, an important distinction in many of his lectures. He says that we make a distinction between, when we say refuting the opposer, an opposition can occur from a person of the Sunnah, and it can also occur from a person who's already upon Bid'ah. So how we treat these two people is different. If we see a person, we see his usul, his foundations, he's upon the usul of the, of the Sunnah, and he's upon the truth, and he's upon the haqq, and he's with the people of the truth, and he errs in a matter, you know, and he errs in a matter, then we refute the principle, we refute the issue that he erred in, and we maintain his respect, we maintain his dignity, and, you know, inshallah, if he's upon the truth, he will return. Only if he persists upon the batil after it's been made clear to him, then we refute him and expose him. But a person of the sunnah who's sincere will not do that. As for a person who's upon misguidance and upon error, and he errs and he's upon whatever, then we refute him and we expose him and we warn against him so that the people are aware of his, of his harm. So, 
as it comes to the people of innovation itself, uh, the Sheikh says that from the affairs that we should mention is that the people of innovation in our time specifically, they yatasattaruna bilibasi sunnah. They come out and they wear the gown of the sunnah. This is something particular in our time. These people, they, they come and they hide behind certain names that they are with Sheikh Muhammad bin Ibrahim, Ali Sheikh in that time, or that they are with Sheikh Al-Albani, Sheikh bin Bashir. They will use certain names and will wear the gown of the sunnah and so that the people are deceived by them. But really what they're concealing is they have hizbiyat, tanzimat, they have like secret organization, partisanship, and they're really concealing all of these things. The Sheikh says that this is the way of Ahlul Bid'ah in this time. It's the same as the people of Bid'ah in, uh, this is something that they used to do in the previous times as well. He mentions that famous uh, that, that narration from uh, Mufaddal bin Muhalhal. Uh, this is a well-known author from the Salaf, and he's from the, the, the people of the Sunnah. He said that when a person of innovation, he sits with you, and he starts speaking his innovation straight away, right? He will, you know, you, you, will, you will beware of him and you will run away from him. But if he comes to you initially and he starts with a hadith of the sunnah and things like that in his majlis, then over time he's going to introduce his innovation to you. So then it will stick to your heart. How then will it leave your heart? This is so true, subhanAllah. What the Qutbiyah used to do, Qutbis, in Saudi Arabia, when they first began Safar al-Hawali, Salman al-Awda, first of all, what they began to do in the late 80s is sit down, start teaching Aqidat al-Tahawiyyah, Aqidat al-Wasfiyyah, right? Do lessons every week, uh, explanation of these books. Then when tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of youth gathered around them, then they began to call to what they actually wanted to call to many, many years afterwards putting the seeds of doubt about the scholars, putting the seeds of doubt about the rulers, right? Leading them, working towards revolution, things of that nature. This is how the people of Bid'ah, this is how they operate. And likewise, there are many of these types of people, the Haddadiyah, the people upon this extremism of attacking the scholars and making tabdi of them and expelling people from the Sunnah. This is how the people, they operate. One of these people, Sheikh Rabi, is refuted extensively. One of the ways that they do is they'll go and they'll try to make it look as if they are doing a service to the books of the Salaf. So they will spend 10-15 years going, finding books in which there's Aqid of Salaf and doing a tahqiq of that book. <laughs> you know, verify the ahadith, publish it, print it, distribute it, spend 10-15 years, build a reputation, right, of tahqiqat of the books of the Salaf, Aqid of Salaf. Once you've built an audience, then you start coming out with your real poison, the actual poison that you wanted to call people to, right? So there are people who actually do this, people who are upon this way. They conceal what they are upon, and they use this, you know, deception as a means of eventually calling you to that which they are upon. So we need to be aware of that, and again, this is a lengthy, lengthy principle, many, many statements, narrations from the Salaf. It is from the great principles of the Sunnah. Imam Ahmed said, Usulu sunnati indana at-tamasuku bi makan alihi sallallahu uh, abandoning innovations uh, and abandoning sitting with the people of innovation and then abandoning argumentation, disputations, controversy. This is from our principle. 
We do not argue with the people of innovation, rather we just simply make the sunnah clear. You don't engage in argumentation. The scholars say, if you're in a gathering and some issue comes up, you say, look, this is the sunnah. That's what the sunnah is. But you do not start now engaging in argumentation and disputation and whatever, because that's not from the way of the sunnah. You state the sunnah and khalas, that's it. You accept it or not. This is from our way. This is from the mightiest principles of our religion to keep away from the people of bid'ah and to warn against them. And we are speaking here of their leaders and their heads who misguide the common people. As for the common people, then it is for the person who has knowledge, for him, for him to mix with them with the intention of guiding them. With the intention of guiding them. Not with the intention of just keeping company with them and being intimate with them and making flattery of them. and Not for that purpose, to mix with them. For the purpose of guiding them because that is the greatest of what they are in need of. So when we speak of this, we need to be clear. As for the callers and the heads, they are to be refuted and warned against because they are callers to innovation and misguidance. And as for the common people, whoever is able and has the ability and has the knowledge and has the understanding, then he invites the common people to that which is uh, true and correct and takes them out from the, the harms of those people who, who, whom they are listening to. So then he brings many, many uh, statements. Tawus uh, ibn Batta in Al-Ibana, uh, he mentions a narration from Tawus was sitting and a man came from the Mu'tazila, a Mu'tazili. He began to speak. So Tawus, he put fingers in his two ears and said to his son, do this, do that, and be severe like this. Don't listen to anything from his speech. Why? Because a Ma'mar who is a narrator, he said, because the heart is weak. Right? These Imams of the Salaf wouldn't want to hear the rhetoric, this Greek philosophical rhetoric known as Kalam that these people were coming with in that time. Right? Because it is a type of poison uh, that, can, that can affect uh, the heart. And so this is how they used to be with respect to the callers to innovation, the heads of innovation. And so, again, we make a distinction between uh, the caller to innovation and the one who is a follower and the one who is just a common person. We don't treat them all in the same way. right? And the, these affairs are discussed in detail by uh, the scholars. So a person can return back to that. So, likewise, Sufyan al-Thawri, uh, when uh, he came to Basra, he began to investigate the affair of this individual called Ar-Rabi' and how he was held in esteem by the people. So he asked the people, what creed is he upon? And they said, his madhab is the madhab of the Sunnites, only the Sunnah and nothing else. And so he said, okay then, so who is his bitana? Who is who's the, his close intimate friendship? He said, oh, they're, they're, they're the people of Qadr who are speaking about Al-Qadr. So Sufyan said, he said, well, he said, huwa qadari, huwa qadari. Then he is a Qadari. And so Ibn Batta commenting upon this narration, he says, may Allah have mercy upon Sufyan al-Thawri. For indeed he spoke with wisdom and he spoke truthfully and he spoke in accordance with ilm and so therefore agreed with the book and the sunnah and what wisdom necessitates. And it is the people of Basira and Bayan who know this. Qala Allah Ta'ala, and he mentions an ayah in the Qur'an. Ya ayuhal ladheena amanu, 
لا تتخذوا بطانة من دونكم لا يألونكم خيال لا يألونكم خبالا ودوا ما عنتم. So here Ibn Battah is basically commenting upon this uh, narration and saying, look at the wisdom of Sufyan al-Thawri, how he used this, this principle that we mentioned from the Qur'an about the company and al-hub wal-bughd in order to determine what a man is really about, what is he truly about, right? So these are, and then also the statement of al-Fudayl bin Iyad, al-Arwahu junudun mujannada, the souls are like soldiers which have been gathered together. Those which are like each other will come together and those which are unlike each other will separate. And it is not possible for a person of the Sunnah to uh, become intimate and close with a person of Bid'ah except on account of hypocrisy. Except on account of hypocrisy. And Ibn Battah again he says, Sadaq al-Fudayl rahimahullah fa'inna nara dhalika iyanan. He said, indeed, Fudayl has spoken truthfully because we see that with our very own eyes. But these are things that the Salaf, they saw and they experienced. And likewise, in our times, we can see these things from a people who claim that they are, uh, you know, upon the way of the Salaf. And their company and their speech and their behavior so shows something else. And finally, um, he finishes with a final uh, principle, which is, iltizamuna bil kitabi wa sunnah. Which is to adhere to the book and the sunnah in all of our affairs and all of our situations. Meaning to apply Islam to all aspects of your life. This is what Salafiyya is concerned with and what it calls to. And then he brings many ayat in the Quran to establish this principle. From them is the statement of Allah Azawajal. وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنٍ وَلَا مُؤْمِنَةٍ إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَمْرًا أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُمُ الْخِيَرَةُ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ وَمَنْ يَعْسِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ فَقَدْ ضَلَّ ضَلَلًا مُبِينًا It is not for any believing man or believing woman when Allah decrees an affair or His Messenger that they should have any choice in that affair. Whoever disobeys Allah and His Messenger then indeed he has gone far, far astray. إِنَّمَا كَانَ قَوْلَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذَا دُعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ لِيَحْكُمَ Indeed, the speech of the believers when they are called to Allah and His Messenger that He may judge between them is that they say, we hear and we obey. And they are the ones who will be successful. So the Shaykh then goes on to bring many, many texts as an evidence for this principle. I have indeed left among you that which if you hold on to the Book of Allah, you will never go, you will never ever go astray. So many of these texts, statement of Ibn Abbas who said, This ayah in the Quran, in Surah Taha, Ibn Abbas said about this, this ayah, whoever follows my guidance, he will not go astray, nor will he be wretched. This is the ayah. Ibn Abbas said, Allah has guaranteed for the one who recited the Qur'an and followed whatever is in it that he will not go astray in this world nor will he be wretched in the hereafter. This shows that sticking to the book and the sunnah is something that is wajib and it is wajib upon the callers to Allah to be occupied with this and to call the people to this to adhere to the kitab and the sunnah in all the affairs of their lives 
And so again, for the, because of lack of time, uh, there are many other texts that the Shaykh brings uh, in relation to this principle, but we'll end with that there. So these are 10 principles that Shaykh Abdul Salam has brought very quickly. Number one, to be concerned with seeking Islamic knowledge and gaining an understanding of the deen. Number two, uh, to be eager to implement and practice that which we acquire of knowledge. Number three, to call to Allah upon basira, with insight, with knowledge and understanding. Number four, to be concerned with the aqidah of the salaf, both in knowledge, action and teaching as well. Number five, to be concerned with the sunnah, prophetic sunnah, and to be eager to act upon it and to adorn ourselves with it, and doing all those things that we find in the sunnah in relation to ibadat and you know, things of that nature. Number six, keeping a tight connection with the scholars of the sunnah and respecting them, taking from them and referring things back to them. Number seven, keeping away from the hizbiyat, from these groups and movements which have appeared who make their attachments and associations upon other things, not upon the truth, upon other things. They have agendas, motives, things that they are working to. And so their attachments are around personalities and ideas, not upon the truth. So to keep our youth away from them, keep people away from them. Number eight, to uh, adhere to what the Quran and the Sunnah teaches in relation to the scholars and the rulers. Why? Because these things tremendously impact whole nations and whole societies. As we've seen from experience, from the evil effects of the methodologies of the Muslim Brotherhood upon the Muslim lands, right? So this is a tremendous principle which is given great attention in the Sunnah. Number nine, to shun the people of innovation and to warn against them. And again, this affair is discussed in detail. Uh, you know, there are some tafsilat in this issue uh, that we return back to. Um, and number 10, adhering to the book and the Sunnah in all the affairs of our lives as much as we are able. And this is what we preoccupy the people with. And so if you bear bear with me and patient with me for a short while longer just for the sake of completion I wanted to also mention the 10 qualities and attributes or the ma'alim of Salafiya that Sheikh Abdullah al-Bukhari which are very very uh, nice points that he made so I don't want that to be lost uh, from this lesson so we'll finish with this inshallah ta'ala and we'll speak briefly about each one the Sheikh mentions in his book Mahiya Salafiya uh, in, in a particular chapter where he speaks about the simat the attributes and the uh, signposts of the Salafi manhaj or Salafiyya. So he says, فَمِنْ مَعَالِمِ وَسِمَاتِ هَذَا الْمَنْهَجِ أَوْ هَذَهِ الدَّعْوَةِ السَّلَفِيَّةِ From the signposts or from the uh, characteristics of this methodology, first of all, أَوَّلًا تَحْقِيقُ الْعُبُودِيَةِ لِلَّهِ جَلَّ وَعَلَى This is from the greatest foundations of the Salafi methodology. What is, what is it? It is to actualize servitude to Allah the mighty and majestic so someone says to you what are you concerned with you say we are trying to make people to establish ubudiyah for Allah in their personal lives this is what we are calling to because this is the essence of what the messengers and the prophets call to our call is identical to the call of the prophets and messengers so this is the first and the greatest thing that the people of the sunnah are occupied with number two thanian Secondly, it is to call people to make pure following, sincere following 
of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, which means following his Sunnah. This is what we call people to do. We call people to adhere to the Sunnah. This is from our principles. The third principle is Luzumu Fahmi Salafi Salih, Radiallahu Anhum Lil Adillati Shari'iyah, Wa Adamil Khuruji An Dalik. The third thing that we do, our third principle, is that when we speak and when we teach, we are calling people to stick to the understanding of the Salaf in any of the texts, in any of the evidences that they are coming across and not to deviate and fall outside of that. So when we speak of the ayat of Allah and the hadith of the Messenger of Allah, then we always bring the understanding of the Salaf. We convey the understanding of the Salaf. This is from our principles. And so this is unlike, we, we separate therefore from the Khawarij and the Rawafid and the Qadriya and the Murjiya and the Jahmiya and the Mu'tazla, all those people who come to the ayat in the Qur'an and then they take them away from what, how the Sahaba explain them. Why? Because they're trying to support their innovations. So they'll take certain ayat, leave other ayat, take certain hadith, leave the hadith and they will give them a faham under the, other than the understanding of the Salaf al-Salih. This is the third of our principles that we follow. The fourth, Al-Hadhar wa tahdiru min al-Bida'i wal-Mubtadi'ah. Fourthly, to warn, to be cautious and then to warn against Bida'ah itself and from the people of innovation. This is from the most distinguishing signs of the people of the Sunnah. And in doing that, they are safeguarding and preserving the straight path of Allah Azza wa Jal. That's why Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahab, ta'ala, he used as, a, as, a, as an evidence for the refutation of Bid'ah and the Mubtadi'ah, this ayah, Ihdina Sirat al-Mustaqim. This ayah is an evidence for the refutation of Bid'ah and, and the Mubtadi'ah. Why? Because we are asking Allah to guide us to, the, there is a straight path that we need to remain upon. Which means there are other paths that deviate from that path. Otherwise, we wouldn't be asking Allah to keep us on the straight path. Right? So that itself is an evidence that there are paths which deviate from that and they are the Ahwa and Bid'ah. So it is from our methodology to warn the people from the innovations and innovators. So we point out, for example, all the heads of innovation from the Khawarij and the Sufis and the Tablis, Tablighis and the Ashari. We, and you know, we, we make the path clear to the people that this is the way you need to be upon and that is the path of destruction. And this is an amana upon the scholars, upon the scholars and the people of the Sunnah to you know, to, to convey this truth and not to conceal it. Number six, al-thabatu al-al-haq. Sorry, afwan. Number five, al-wasatiyyatu bayna al-ghuluwi wal-jafa. Number five is to be in moderation between exaggeration and neglect. So, to illustrate this, you will find that in every field, in every area of our creed, the people of the sunnah are in moderation. When we speak about Tawheed, the Tawheed of Allah Azawajal, we are in moderation between the deniers who reject the attributes of Allah and the affirmers, the exaggerationists from the Rafida and other than them, who exaggerate in the attributes of Allah and they liken him to, they ascribe human qualities to him. We are in between these two parties. In the field of Iman, we believe Iman is speech, belief and action. So we oppose we are in between the Khawarij on the one hand and then the Murjiya on the other hand who expel actions from Iman. So we are in between in relation to when it comes to Muslims and making judgment upon Muslims. We are again in between the Murjiya and the Khawarij. 
We say a person who commits a sin, he's a sinful believer, he retains his iman, but he's sinful, he's deficient in his iman. So between the khawarij who make takfir, and between the murji'ah who say this person is a perfect, you know, he hasn't, his iman is not affected, he's perfect in his iman. So you find in all of the fields of knowledge, likewise we, 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 you know, we, we are in between uh, moderation, and the, the, the thing that gives us this moderation is the fact that we are sticking to the rope of Allah upon the fahm of the salaf. This is, is what is giving us the moderation, right? And so this means, this is why it is wajib upon every single Muslim on the face of this earth to be salafi, right? And the only way they're going to know that is if we convey this da'wah exactly as the scholar said at the beginning, with hikmah, with wisdom, with good admonition, and with argument with ways which are best, and all of this cannot be done except with ilm, right? There are people out there who, if they knew what the way of the Salaf was, they'd happily accept it. There are millions of people out there looking for this da'wah, right? But because of these layers and layers and layers of misguidance, propaganda, lies, misconceptions that, that, are, that are being put, they, 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 they don't know, they can't see. And so therefore it is necessary for us as callers uh, to uh, convey this message and convey this truth and to make clear that Salafiyya is in between extremism and neglect and you know it is, it is what the Sahab were upon and they need to, they need to be exposed to that message inshallah ta'ala. Um, and so number six, uh, number six is al-thabatu al-haq which means being firm upon the truth, not compromising, not being weak, not being apologetic, being firm upon the truth. Be firm on the truth and say a truthful word. But use wisdom in the process. Use wisdom. And so, al-thabatu al-haq and having al-istiqama, that is a topic in and of itself. And there are tremendous reward for those. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا رَبُّنَ اللَّهُ Indeed, those who say, our Lord is Allah, and then remain upright, the angels descend upon them. There are tremendous rewards for those who are upon istiqama in their affair. So al-thabat is from the features of the Salafi way. Number seven, al-hirsu ala al-ijtima'i wal-i'tilafi ala al-haqqi bil-haqq. To be eager upon unity and you know, being together. And there's some two important words that the Shaykh mentioned. Ala al-haqq, which means what is the basis of unity? What is that we unite in right and right? It's got to be the truth. And then how do we achieve that unity? Bilhaq is a very, very precise wording. So being eager upon unity, alalhaq wa bilhaq. So number one, upon the truth means that we come together upon the tawheed of Allah and ittiba of the Messenger Right? And then how what what is the root that we Achieve unity upon that. It's got to be bilhaq, meaning upon the right methodology. What is that? It is, as we said, uh, ta'leem, teaching the people, conveying knowledge to the people, acting upon that knowledge, calling upon basira. These are the ways and means. Notice how this is very, very different to what other people are calling to in terms of unity. They are calling to unity of bodies for whatever agenda they have. And how are they doing it? Is it bilhaq? It's, no, it's bilbatil. It's, it's like you know, uh, let's rebel against the rulers, they are apostates, they are tawagheet, right? The scholars are apostates because such and such. 
they, they, first of all, they're calling to unity upon other than the truth, and they're doing it with other than the truth. So these are, this is a very, very clear distinction. We call to unity of the hearts upon the truth and using the truth, with the truth as well. And this is a distinguishing quality of the methodology of the way of the Salaf. Thaminan nabdul furqati wal ikhtilaf. Number eight, we keep away from all of the splitting and separation and the causes of differing and splitting between ourselves. And we don't like, we do not like that the people of the Sunnah should be split and harmed. And so we see that this asal has been opposed by many deviants and innovators who've come in the guise of Salafiyya in the past 20, 30 years, whether the likes of, you know, Al-Ma'rabi um, and um, Al-Maghrawi, all these people came in the name of Salafiyya and they caused splits between Salafis. They, 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 they came with uh, Ikhwani principles, misguided them. First of all, they got close, as we said, Abu al-Hasan al-Ma'rabi, first of all, he went around to the major scholars doing cassette recordings. Everyone began to trust him. <coughs> they thought, this guy is a big, big, big sheikh, and he's, you know, sat with Sheikh al-Bani, whatever. As soon as these major scholars died, Sheikh al-Bani, rahimahullah, Sheikh al rahimahullah, and uh, Sheikh Muthaymin and Sheikh uh, Muqbil, as soon as they passed away, he came out with what he was really concealing. Remember that athar of uh, al-Mufaddal, uh, right, exactly what he said? They'll come to you first of all and they'll speak nothing but the sunnah for many, many years. And then they'll put the poison in you. So as soon as those scholars died, he started coming out with all of his principles. They were ikhwani principles, repackaged, reinvented, right, for Salafi audiences. And then he caused whatever he caused. He took a large number of people away with him. <coughs> the same with other people who came after him from the Haddadi and people like that. This is how they operate. So we have to be careful that from our way is... We shun splitting. We don't want splitting and differing. We don't like splitting and differing because it brings weakness to the people of the Sunnah. Tasi an number nine al hirsu ala tahsil al ilm nafi wa nashrihi bain al nas wa da'watihim ilayh ma'a sabri ala al adafi. This is the same as what Sheikh Abdul Islam mentioned that we are eager upon acquiring beneficial knowledge and spreading it amongst the people and calling them to it alongside having patience in the face of any harms that we might that we might have and finally number 10 al-amalu bil-ilm so again the same thing to act upon the knowledge the shaykh says these ma'alim wa hadhi al-ma'alim ayyuhal ahibba adillatuha kathiratun liman ta'amala nusus al-wahiyyain wa siratan nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so he says look these ma'alim these signposts and these principles all of them my beloved uh, brothers the evidences for them are very, very, very many for the one who reflects upon the texts of the two revelations and who reflects upon the seerah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So we'll, we'll conclude there inshallah ta'ala. So from what we've mentioned from uh, the people of knowledge here, from Lajnatul uh, Da'imah, from the scholars, from Sheikh Ubaid, from Sheikh Abdul Salam, Sheikh Abdul Bukhari, I hope that there's something here in this from which we've taken a benefit and from which we can clearly see that the Salafi methodology is a very clear, distinct methodology. There's nothing secret about it. There's nothing hidden about it. It's very open. It's very clear. There's no such thing as secret organization. It is very clear. It is something that invites people to the Tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal and to follow and imitate the messengers. Simple. And we want to rectify the society. We want to rectify ourselves 
We want to rectify the society by way of this message, this pure message. And we also want to guide and help the wider society around us. We want guidance for them as well. We see for them that these people are lost and wandering and misguided because when you have a society which is far, far away from revelation, you will see the kind of ills and evils that these people are experiencing and witnessing. It is because they are away from revelation. And whatever revelation they claim to have is mubaddal and muharraf. It is altered and distorted. So we see in these societies, they, you know, what is happening of, uh, we have so many woes, so many economic woes, so many political woes, so many social woes, meaning, you know, like harms that come to them. Uh, these people, they have, uh, where do we begin? We, we have alcoholism, we have drugs, we have gang violence, we have... Um, 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 premature, um, what you call it, um, single parent, you know, uh, how can I, you know, children who haven't children very, very early because they're messing around, right? All the, 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 the harms to society that this is having upon society. Then you have all of the subversive lifestyle philosophies that are being imposed upon people about, you know, sexual liberation and, you know, no such thing as gender. And these people are lost, they're misguided. Right? This, this level of ruin where you can't distinguish between a man and a woman and a male and a female and you are legitimizing a mental illness. Right? A mental illness, when someone's confused about whatever, this is a mental illness. Right? And now you are, you are legitimizing, you want to give rights to a person who's mentally ill. You want everyone to accept it. Right? This, is, this is the end consequence and outcome of a nation that has far, far, far removed from any trace of messenger, messengership, prophethood, and revealed book. And even though they have a revealed book, which is like, you know, the, the, the gospel or whatever, this is muharraf and mubaddal. It is altered and it is changed. It is not, it's not the deen of Isa alayhi salam. Why? Because these, these people are actually murji'ah. Christianity is a deen of irja, because the one who founded this deen, Paul, he was a murji. He was a jahmi, murji. Right, so if we use our Islamic knowledge of, of people who deviated, Jahan bin Safwan said, the only thing that counts is your knowledge of Allah's existence. It's ma'rifa. Iman is ma'rifa in the heart. That's it. As for the shara'i, the legislated things, not from, you don't need to abide by them. It doesn't affect your iman, anything like that. So this is what Paul, Paul came with, this deen of irja. And that's why the actual companions of Isa al-Islam, they refuted him. And in fact, you even find this refutation in the New Testament itself, in the book of James. If you read the book of James in the New Testament and you read, it's as if you're reading uh, a certain chapter of uh, Al-Ibana of Ibn Battah. Well, I should read it because he's refuting them on the issue of Iman. What is Iman? How does a believer attain salvation? Is it with faith alone or is it with works? Right? You read that chapter, it's as if you are reading from some of the books of the Salaf who are basically refuting the, the Murjiya Jahmiya, right? the book of James. Find it and read through it and you'll find, you'll find it in there. So the point being that from an early point, this is the harm of what the Mubtadi'ah, this is the harm of the Mubtadi'ah, the innovators. Look at how this Paul, he ruined the deen of the Christians for which they've been suffering for 2,000 years. 
and now this is the end outcome of what they are upon. And they have they abandoned the legislation, the, 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 the law, the Torah, because Isa came to confirm the Torah. This man came and said, Oh, he just died for your sins, just believe that. No need for the law, no need for sticking to the commands, and you will be saved. Right? So basically he was an extreme murji, an extreme jahmi in Iman. And that's what he called to, and that was the foundation of the deen of the Christians. Right? So, so how, can a deen like, how can a deen like this rectify society? It can't. That's why these Western nations now that you see them, right, they are in ruin because of all of these philosophies, socialism, Marxism, all of this gender ideology, feminism, this little, it's actually ruined their societies, right? And now they want to blame Islam, want to blame Muslims, right? And then they want to blame Islam and Muslims for all these problems. It's not really the, uh, the problem of Islam and Muslims or even immigration because immigration is because you're over there in those countries, uh, you know, creating turmoil in those countries. Th those people want to flee. They want a better life, right? So, if, you know, so you, can't, you can't blame Islam and Muslims for these kind of wars and these problems. It is because you are lost. You do not, you do, you do not have a deen which is wahi from Allah. You have something which is muharraf and mubaddal, altered fabricated, right? It will not rectify you or the society. Shirk cannot rectify you or the society, right? That's why these people, they need, when we, when we say that we are calling, we do it out of sincere uh, desire for guidance for these people. This is what we are motivated by. We don't have any, we don't, we don't despise and hate these people like what these people try to claim. Every prophet and messenger was most eager to guide his people, because he loved that these people are upon guidance. This is exactly what we, what we as Salafis, what we are about. Right? And the same even goes to even the common Muslims. This propaganda and this lie that Salafi is about hatred and... No, it's not. We are only speaking about the heads of misguidance and innovation, who misguide people. As for the average common people, we love them, and we love for them what we love for ourselves. And we are eager to guide them. Right? So all of these you know, the, the, these lies and fabrications against the, the way of the Salaf, all of these are false. But this is what we as people, we are characterized by. We want what we believe we have. Think about it, to be a follower of the messengers of Allah, all of them, and to be a follower of the Sahaba, and to be, have a clear, you know, uh, we are not upon Irja, we are not upon the way of the Khawaj, we are not upon the way of the Rawafid, we are not upon the way of the Qadariyah. All these things we are free of, we are not upon the way of the Jama'at. This is the greatest favor a person can actually have. That's why the Salaf used to say, I do not know which of the favors of Allah is better, that he guided me to Islam or that he did not make me from the people of desires. Many narrations from, from some of the Tabi'een which are of, of this nature. So this is a tremendous ni'mah and favor that we have of being upon the Sabil and the Sunnah. And we want this for everybody else, every Muslim we want it for. Even the Yahudi and the Nasrani, we want it for those people, because those people are lost, right? Those people are lost as well. So this is, in a nutshell, uh, what we should have taken from this lesson. Uh, and with that, we'll conclude uh, our lesson there for today. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa jazakumullahu khairan for your patience.